1: Well, I have to tell you, today is totally different than yesterday. Yesterday, I was I was stressed a little bit uh, because I had one of those critical interviews, one of those you know game changing, life changing, you know potentially amazing things. Uh, yesterday, when I got to talk to uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, and so it, it's um, yeah, I still get a little intimidated. <laughs> you know, where do we get Donald Trump on the show? You think I'm intimidated now? But uh, you know, you get some of these just amazing people, these these huge public figures that have uh, you know he's I'm, I don't think he's been in the public eye all that long. But I think those that knew him knew his work from his thousand articles and 600 peer reviewed stuff and everything else he's done uh, as one, probably one of the world's great cardiologists today. And so to have to, to be able to talk to people like that is a privilege. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I got into uh, talk radio and created this in the first place was to be able to meet, you know, some of the the world's best and brightest people at what they do. And yesterday was one of those days. I mean, it was incredible. If you, if you, uh, haven't had a chance, and of course, the, you know, the the we've we got a lot more listeners to that show, too, because, you know, it's, it's Peter McCullough, uh, and uh, this is going to have huge reverberations. Again, I hope to, uh, you know, uh, from here, you know, get on with uh, Joe Rogan and uh, Tucker Carlson and, and get our legislation out there in a way that, you know, heretofore, as I say, I haven't been able to do, um, simply because, you know, a, it's like, you know, I asked people to share shows and share the bills and people don't think of it. It's not, it's not a habit pattern. And, you know, I don't, I don't blame anybody for this. It's just, this just the way it is that, uh, you know, when they say nothing succeeds like success, the things people are sharing are the things that they think other people are sharing. So, you know, the, 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 they can, everybody can go along with it and go, yeah, I'm sharing it too. Isn't that great? You know, so uh, the, the Kim Kardashian model, you know, yeah, you got to share, you know, she's, every, she's popular. Everybody knows who she is. So, you know, you want to be in. It's like people who only want to vote for winners in elections because you don't know who that is, right? Um, well, you can kind of guess sometimes. Like it was impossible for uh, you know Joe Biden to beat uh, Donald Trump in a fair election. That's why they stole it. So so some things are very predictable. But anyway, the point is that the bigger the show gets, the bigger the show is going to get. The more people that share the show, the more people that will share the show. It's, it's kind of a, a self-perpetuating thing. And so... Part of my, my strategy for this, uh, besides the fact that I really love to talk to these people because um, they're brilliant, and I you know I love having brilliant people on the show, but it, it actually helps in in many ways in terms of uh, so building our reputation credibility uh, and being able to have access to someone like a Dr. Peter Kola, you know who now approved of our bill uh, the the vaccine product legislation bill uh, and who learned of. I think for the first time yesterday, uh, our bill on big tech censorship, and uh, you know, from what he heard, reported favorably on that too. So these, uh, I won't say endorsements yet unless I ask him specifically and say, you know, do you endorse these bills? Because I don't do that to people. Um, but uh, I I, th- I feel reasonably assured that that's you know a definite possibility that uh, he would endorse those and put his name to the bills. And so I'll, I'll uh, you know, when the dust settles a little bit, I'll, I'll get back to him and say, hey, would you want to, you know, like, may I add your name to our endorsement list? You know, with uh, Judy Mikovic, Jerome Bell, uh, and some of the other folks that, uh, Dr. Zelenko, uh, Vladimir Zelenko, um, some of the other folks that are already on the bills. And so that helps, too. So all these help. Everything helps our, our legislation get out there. But I think yesterday we took a major step. And as more and more people learn about that specific bill, and as more and more people literally dropped it, uh, I mean, that's what's happening. And Bianchi made the point, point yesterday. You know, is it going to take six football players dying in the Super Bowl before people take notice that the, the the gene jab is a bad thing? And I'm thinking, hopefully not that dramatically, but, you know, it would. It would bring attention, you know, and would bring a whole bunch of attention. And so this is this is, a, 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 you know, a scary, fascinating development. I still think Brian Sicknick, you know, the Capitol Hill police officer that to the left tried to say they, they pulled a hoax, you know, bogus story that he was killed by a fire extinguisher. Oh, please. Um, that was always laughable from the, from the start, even though they kept saying it over and over again. And then they said he died of natural causes. Really? <laughs> what, what's natural about a 40-year-old healthy police officer, you know, dropping dead from two strokes? Not just one, two strokes, you know, blood clots. And what, what do we know causes blood clots? Well, the, the, the COVID gene jab. Causes blood clots. It Causes blood clots all over the body. The whole, the whole died suddenly movie is documenting these massive blood clots that uh, morticians are pulling out of people's bodies when they, they try. Well, here's how it works. They try to embalm them. You know, well, to embalm a body, you got to pump it with this weird fluid, whatever it is. I, I don't want to be embalmed. Cremate, yeah. Put me by an airport. I'm happy. You know, put me at the end of an airport runway. Let me let me grow plants. You know, a little grass out right there, at the end of a runway, so uh, the planes can fly over me. Um, but uh, as far as you know, embalming. They do. They pump you with fluid. Well, if you got blood clots in all your, your veins and arteries, <laughs> you know, the, which is probably what killed these people, uh, you can't pump in the embalming fluid. So of course, you know, the, the, the morticians, the, the embalmers, they get curious. Well, why can't, what's, what's going on there? So, so they they find you know, these, these huge blood clots and they're pulling them out. So the question is, you know, why weren't, why weren't the autopsy doctors finding this? Why weren't the medical doctors finding this? Why weren't they autopsying people who died at 40 years old of two strokes? How do they know he died of two strokes? Did the autopsy and then check his brain, and what else did they find? So I still contend I can't prove it. I'm, you know, that was one of those questions I had for Peter McCullough yesterday, um, but we didn't have time for. Is uh, you know, is it possible Brian Sicknick was the first public victim of the COVID shot? I I think so. You know, and so until I can uh, refute it otherwise by other means, you know, and again his body was cremated, obviously, <laughs> you know, so that because nobody wanted anybody. That was that was part of the 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 clampdown on the information. If it had gotten out that early. Uh, way back on January 6, 2021, you know, barely three weeks after the, uh, the rollout of the, the gene jab, the snake oil, um, that somebody had already died of it. <laughs> you know, that, that would have been halted immediately. Was, Wait a minute, what? <laughs> you know, so he didn't die of a, a fire extinguisher. He died of a COVID jab. That would have changed everything. So, of course, they had to suppress that, cremate his body, get rid of the evidence, and, uh, you know, and, and, and that, that people didn't even question it. The only place, place I've seen this question other than me. Uh, is I think it was this American something magazine, and we did a show. So look up Action Radio, comma you know Brian Sicknick, and, and the episode will come up, and you'll find out the other source. Because I always quote my sources. And so that to me is fascinating. That, that, that is that uh, is he the first? And so I've kind of put that in, in that the, the bug in a few people's ear, you know, to say wait a minute, what do you think? you think Brian Sicknick was the first? You know, so we'll see what happens. Hopefully that'll that'll spur an investigation, uh, at least of the coroner's report. So we'll see what happens. So anyway, so the, the aftermath of yesterday's unbelievable chat uh, with uh, Dr. McCullough, uh, uh, obviously a lot of people listen and a lot more people are going to listen. That's, that's one of those shows that kind of builds over time. Months from now, people will still go, wow, you had Peter McCullough on? Yeah, we did. <laughs> so they're going to check that out. But his revelations about DARPA, the defense, you know, whatever it is, project that is, uh, the, the coordination of the FBI and the CDC, I mean, he said a bunch of things. He, he gave, basically gave me months of, of investigative homework. Uh, things to look into and go, huh, well, how can we think of that? You know, and, and then, of course, the question is, what do we do? What do we do legislatively? Well, the single most important thing is, uh, is vaccine product liability and big tech uh, censorship bills. Those two bills are absolutely critical right now. And I'll be talking to Jerome Bell in the third hour about those. So Jerome, Jerome's interesting. Um, he's uh, uh, one of two people that I know. In fact, it's interesting. He and, and, and Calvin Wimdish, uh, they're both long-term veterans, over 20-year veterans. They're both conservative black men. They both ran for Congress, and they both made history by running for Congress on our citizen legislation, you know, in part. They obviously had other issues, other bills, things like that. But just the fact that they made citizen legislation from, from Action Radio part of their campaign, that was historic. And so I asked Calvin if he wants to come join us uh, in the third hour as well. Too. I'd like to get them both on just because I think they'd be like this dynamite team. Uh, of, of, uh, of, you know, citizen legislators to carry the message for us because they both – and the other thing they have in common is they, they both were denied money by the, uh, the transgender geldings at the, uh, the Republican uh, National Committee. <laughs> so that they don't gotten to it. Anyway, so today we'll be, talk- we'll be talking to Jerome Bell, and I, I think he's doing media now. He's got another show. Uh, he's, uh, he's doing all kinds of stuff, But I'm hoping, maybe, just maybe, you know, he has time to, to possibly be a lobbyist. Uh, if he's interested in doing that, or if anybody, actually, if anybody's in the, in the Washington D.C. area, if you're if you're interested in being a lobbyist for Action Radio, take our legislation directly into the halls of, and offices of, of members of, of the House and the Senate. Then let me know. You know, call the show, uh, go to live chat, send me a message. Uh, greg at writeyourlaws.com is my is my public email, um, or um, you know, there's, there's other ways to reach. You know, if you're international, call us on the Skype line. The Skype line is right there on your broadcast page. Uh, the information for live chat, the information for the Skype line. Uh, you've got our Give, Send, Go account. If you want to support what we do here, which I hope you do, givesendgo.com slash action radio. Uh, it's all right there. So all the information you need for the show is right there on your broadcast page. So that's what's going on today. So Jerome, is it would be fascinating to talk to. I want to hear about his run for Congress. I want to hear about, uh, you know, the, the excuse of the the, uh, the Republican National Committee under Ronna Mc uh, M- Ronna McRomney. <laughs> or you can call her Romney McDaniel. She's uh, uh, Mitt Romney's uh, niece, I think, uh, just like Gavin Newsom is uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi's nephew. It's, it's it's you know politics runs in families. It's quite interesting uh, how the, how these little dynasties get set up around around the parties. Now, what I found interesting was that uh, and we mentioned this I think a couple of days. We missed Tuesday show because of a, of a internet uh, blog talk. Uh, somewhere something went wrong and I wasn't able to do the show. But uh, I, th- I think it was either Monday or, or maybe I don't know it was yesterday. It must have been Monday. Uh, we, we came up with the idea, uh, or I found something on the World Economic Forum that Bain Capital is somehow involved. Well, Bain Capital is Mitt Romney's company, but you notice he's not going because he knows it would be politically bad for him to show up at the at the World Ending Forum. Um, but he's perfectly happy to have his company there <laughs> instead, you know, making money and representing, uh, you know, the, the best of world government totalitarian dictatorships. So I call it the World Ending Forum. So the WEF, if you want to speak uh, action radio speaks. <laughs> you know, it's our new language here, right? So if you want to speak, uh, you know, action radio speak, then you start calling it the world-ending forum, because that's what they're talking about. Every every one of those uh, those workshops and speeches and everything else going on there, the world is ending. And that's and so I came with this, this little little saying slogan, this message last night, which I posted on Facebook, which is that. Uh, you know, the, the, the World Economic Forum, they don't want the world to end. They just want you to think the world will end you know, without them. And so that's the key part of this. They want you to think the world is ending, and the only way around it uh, is with, with, uh, with them. They are the cure. They are the solution. They are, they are a cult. You know, if you, can, if, you, if you can call this a world, you know, a global, um, what would you call this? A global tyrannical uh, dictatorship cult. In other words, believe in us. It's very reminiscent of the dictators of the 30s, quite honestly. In fact, uh, um, Dan Ball in One American News talked about this as as like the new Nazis. Well, there's not a lot of difference. And it's not just Nazis. It's communist fascists. So you've got, the you know, in Russia, you had the communists under Stalin, ultra left-wing dictatorship. You had the the Nazis um, under Hitler in Germany, ultra left-wing dictatorship. You had the fascists under Mussolini in Italy, ultra left-wing dictatorship. And you had uh, the Japanese were under the emperor, you know, ultra monarchy (laughs) left wing dictatorship. Because, you know, I never thought about this. till that. But a monarchy really is a leftist organization because a monarchy is totalitarian government. The monarch, you know, the king or queen is the only sovereign. Everybody else is a subject. Well, that's tyranny. That's a tyrannical uh, situation. So if you have a monarchy in your country, depending on on the the extent of parliamentary, you know, rule and, uh, you know, Elections and, and you know and they're 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 closer to a democracy than a republic, but uh, the, the the best form of government is a republic, obviously, and we talk about that all the time, you know. Somewhere down the line is is democracy, which you know which isn't really that good. It's 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 okay, but uh, its biggest problem is it you know as people find out they can buy the people's vote, uh, that's how you get uh, you know go to the the bad ones, you know, fascism, communism, socialism, nazism, uh, things like that. You know and that, that happened, and that's the problem see what prevents a, a uh, see nothing prevents a democracy from becoming a totalitarian state because the people vote for it they vote for it willingly because they think they're going to get free stuff. see in a republic, you can't go from a, a republic to a dictatorship because the republic has a constitution by definition if you don't have a constitution you don't have a republic and a constitution limits the powers of government. well, the last thing totalitarians want is a limit on the powers of government right so so, so a republic not only What distinguishes a republic from a democracy is it? you know, when people say a constitutional democracy, that's an oxymoron. Democracies have no constitution because it's ruled by the people, majority rule. Whatever the majority of the people want, that's what they get. That's a democracy. A lynch mob is a democracy. You know, you're guilty. Why? Because we say so. (laughs) You know, no trial, no evidence, no due process, none of the things that would be in a republic. So in a republic, you have guaranteed individual rights, and one of those is due process. So this is the difference. So as people are looking around at these various forms of government, I would include a monarchy. You know, an emperor is a monarch, uh, a king or queen is a monarch. Who else is a monarch? Any any of those? Uh, I think it's yeah. This is you know, emperor czar, <laughs> czar would be a totalitarian leftist government. So the Russians, if you look at if you look at monarchies and czars and um, emperors and all these different uh, one person you know maximum leader ruler situations, they are in fact leftist dictatorships. I never thought about that till just now. Be curious if, if anybody has a comment on that. Go to live chat or give me a call here, 215 383 So the British, it's interesting. So when the British were rebelling against the monarchy, they were actually rebelling against a left-wing totalitarian government. And they did that with Magna Carta, Parliament, you know, Charles I being beheaded throughout their history. And who knows where they are today. Now, one of the interesting things to note is Jacinda. I don't even know her last name. They all call her Jacinda though, over there in New Zealand. You know, gave her tearful, I can't be your dictator anymore speech, right? So so the dictator of New Zealand, the person that stripped uh, all New Zealanders of their guns, took away all their rights, imposed COVID mandates, you know, mandating that they take a, a jab for something that chances are they've already been exposed to and already hadn't gotten rid of and had immunity to. You know, she's terrible. She's one of the world's worst leaders ever. I mean, she's right up there. You know, she, she wasn't... Uh, you know, one of these tyrannical dictators that, uh, you know, had the gulags and the concentration camps and things like that. But she had the spirit of it, so it's just like Gretchen Whitmer, you know, in Michigan, you know, has, has that spirit of, of dictatorship of, of the gulag. They just don't do it yet, <laughs> but they want to, I think, you know. And so, so you have a dictatorship. Who, who was it that said a while back, if we get more women in politics, it'll be, uh, you know, we'll have a nurturing, benevolent society. And I, I laughed at it then. I'm really laughing at it now. OK, because the women who seek power are exactly the same as the men who seek power. They both seek power. So, so uh, you know, there's, there's no there's no discrimination. There's no there's no sex discrimination when it comes to megalomania. <laughs> you know, So the people that want to have megalomania, the megalomaniacs out there, the, the, the ultra egotistical power hungry elites, Men or women doesn't matter. You look at the, the, the governing board of uh, the world ending forum. You know, it's equally split men and women. You, you've got female dictators as much as male dictators you know, in training, <laughs> you know, it doesn't change. You know, I'm sure that, I think, I'm sure Jacinda, you know, the, the, the tyrannical dictator of New Zealand, even though she was duly elected, doesn't just because you're duly elected doesn't mean you're not, you're not a dictator. When you impose things that should get you removed from office and you're not, <laughs> then you're a dictator, okay? So, so the electoral politics has left at that point when that's what's going on. So she's leaving, thank God, you know, to, to hopefully, uh, I don't know, face trial maybe for crimes against New Zealand. I don't know. I got, I got a friend of mine down there. And uh, hopefully I can um, get him back on the show. It's been a while. But to get a New Zealand caller live on the show, they have to be up at like 1 o'clock in the morning. So, you know, I don't uh, – it's nice, but, you know, maybe I'll do a Saturday show uh, and uh, get my friend on that way. Anyway, so that's happening in New Zealand. Now, something else happened uh, right before the show. And it's one of those things, you know, I'm brainstorming, I'm thinking, I'm looking at articles. I'm wondering, huh, so here's my what if. So something happened yesterday that was quite – uh, scary, uh, especially for those involved. One was not too bad. It was a ground incident. So apparently a, um, uh, a jet blue airplane, uh, you know, bumped into. They told, it, they told the tail of one jet blue airplane into the, the tail of another jet blue airplane. This is kind of the airport. They call it minimal contact or light contact or something like that. Well, let, me, let, me, uh, let me clear you folks in. You know, anytime a jet touches another jet, that's not light contact, okay? Both jets go out of service. They go to maintenance because the minute you, you touch a jet on the ground, Other than that little nice little rubberized plastic, you know, jetway that people walk on, which actually there's a little between that and the jet. You notice there's like about an inch gap at the bottom, as they say in Britain in the tube. Mind the gap (laughs) between the platform and the train, anyway. So that's a London joke for anybody that's been there. Um, but uh, but it's it's fascinating that uh, the I mean, the FAA is really good about this. I mean, they're very strict and it should be strict, right? If you if you bump another airplane. And you damage a control surface, like like a rudder or an elevator or an aileron, that thing could come down if the pilots lose control in the air. See, people don't realize, uh, and this is something you learn as a flight instructor, you you have no idea the power of air. You don't think about this too much. Air, you know, when when meteors go through the atmosphere, they burn up through friction. We're talking rock, solid rock, you know, burns up uh, entering our atmosphere because friction of air is that great if you're going fast enough. So just to give you an idea, if you want to know what a, how a wing works, you know, flatten your hand, just kind of your have your hand flat and tilt it up a little bit like a jet taking off, like a wing. You know, you do it at your car at about 65 miles an hour. Why 65? Because that's the speed that a lot of airplanes, light light airplanes take off at about 65. You know, your Cessna 150s, 172s maybe, maybe they're like 70. Anyway, you're, you're getting close to flying speed for most airplanes or stalling speed. Stalling speed is the speed, you know, where at the right angle of attack, just to be precise, uh, the wing no longer has air flowing over the top surface. Uh, it kind of bumps into the bottom surface and the top surface has a little separation. That's called a stall. And the only way to get the airplane flying again is to lower the wing, you know, by by using uh, the stick forward, as they say, and get the air going over the top of the wing as well as the bottom of the wing. So the airplane only flies when air goes over both the top and the bottom of the wing. That's how it works. You know, if you disrupt it. You know, then you, you start falling you're not flying, you're falling uh, until the point at which you reestablish air going over the top and under the bottom at the same time. That's what flying's about. Anyway, it's kind of like surfing. That's what they call an airplane because it planes through the air. You know, you know, a planing action, you know, like a, a water ski has a planing action where the, the tip of the water ski, which is round, first of all, but it's uh, the tip of the ski is pointed up just slightly higher than the bottom of the ski. So the bottom of the ski is in the water. That's where your little little rudder is at the back there and the top of the ski is out of the water. Well, that's a planing action. Water skis don't go flat along the water. They're a slight angle to the water, right? Surfboard, same thing. They're not flat on the water, there's an angle. There's a very slight angle to the surfboard, you know, aiming up. That's the angle of attack. That's the same thing a wing does to the air. So as a a water ski and a surfboard planes across the water, uh, an airplane wing planes through the air, but the difference is it goes on top as well as below. So submarines know this. Submarines that have those control vanes, you know, that uh, put the nose of the submarine up and down. Those veins underwater is like a wing. It's all, it's all the same stuff. So this is, this is like your first ground school uh, lesson on why an airplane flies. It's very simple. An airplane flies because the air goes on to top of the wing, goes under the wing. You know, you've got, you got a difference in pressure. You've got, you've got downwash, and you've got a force against the bottom of the wing. The main reason an airplane flies is not what, people, is not what pilots are taught. The main reason an airplane flies is because air strikes the bottom of the wing, and the, air, and the plane is actually planing. It's planing through the air. It's a planing action, just like a water ski, just like a surfboard. And that's how I used to explain it to my students. And I was right. <laughs> and, then, you know, so, so anyway, I digress. But the point is, I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. You know, we had two bumping incidents on the ground, and we had a, a, a near mid-air uh, collision. They call it a near miss. It's actually a near hit. <laughs> and someone, and I'm, I'm not the originator of that. I actually read that somewhere. Why do we call these things near misses? It was, it was a complete miss. That's a good thing, but it was a near hit, <laughs> okay? And if you, if you have two large airplanes, you know, crashing into each other, you have a you know, possibility of six to 800 people losing their lives. Well, that's not good. I mean, that's, that's a, you know, the, the worst tragedy in aviation, if I remember, was the Canary Islands, Tenerife Airport, where I think it was KLM and Pan Am. I've forgotten which pilot screwed up, but one pilot took off without permission. Uh, they said, the oh, runway's clear, let's go. And and I think the first officer was like, did we get permission to take off? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Let's go. Well, of course, they crashed into uh, the other airliner. And I forgot who was at fault. But one of them was either KLM or Am was at fault. Uh, And they crashed into the other airplane. They took off when they shouldn't have. And and the other plane landed on top of them. Two 747s. And I think it was, you know, 600, 700 people were killed in that incident. Well, that could happen again. But here's the thing. What do airline employees on the ground and airline pilots have in common? I'll give you a chance to think. Do, 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 I need the Jeopardy theme. i got to see if I can have a soundtrack. Uh I'll put that on my – let me make a note to myself here. As I'm making notes to myself, Jeopardy, Jeopardy theme. Add it to my sound effects. we are going to fun here. So let's put Jeopardy theme, J-E-O-P-A-R-D-Y theme. And that's for the final Jeopardy question. So the answer is the COVID jab. The one thing that airline pilots and airline employees and everybody at the airline has in common is, is the COVID jab. It was mandated for them to be employed. One of the world's dumbest decisions, especially since, um, as I had heard in March of 2020, everybody was going to get exposed to COVID. And as Dr. McCullough confirmed yesterday, 94% of the population has already had COVID. And the other 6%, you know, uh, we don't know. Uh, you know, they, they, they've probably been exposed to it. And so if 94% of the population's had COVID, we're all immune to it. So why would you need a, why would you need a, a jab, a gene jab for something that everybody's already had? Unless, of course, it's either a, a bioweapon, uh, it's either a profit maker, it's a world government control device, uh, or all of the above. So that's my question. So I started to think, okay, well, and of course, i text my friends in the medical biz, you know, the world's greatest doctors. I said, hey, you, you guys know anything about this? So we'll find out next week. We've all talked about the physical complications of a COVID jab, myocarditis, pericarditis, blood clots. However, what we haven't talked about is the mental side effects of the COVID jab. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm just just checking my my texts and facts. Okay, they're all busy. Most of of, uh, my doctor friends uh, and other folks, including Josie, um, are off to this big Tennessee uh, event. I think it's the Reawaken America Tour. I'd love to go. I'd love to be there. You know, if you want to help get me to conventions, sengo dot com slash action radio. Uh, that would that would be a, a nice little travel budget to uh, to allow these kind of things. Quite honestly, I'm hoping they'll invite me to speak. You know, it's really not. I don't think in, in, in the best interest of, of me and Action Radio uh, to just be a participant and kind of like wave at these celebrities. Hi, how you doing? I don't want to do that. You know, I want to be. Uh, you know, and I believe that that's the, that that will happen this year. That uh, that these invitations will come. And I'll be able to do what I do best, I believe, which is teach legislative workshops and bring about the entire idea of citizen legislation to major news media, you know, major public figures and say, hey, this is what we're doing here. You know, next step, Bobby Kennedy. (laughs) We got to talk to Robert uh, Francis Kennedy Jr. And see what we can do. All right. So. In my quest to, to ask you know questions um, that uh, amuse and interest and intrigue me, I thought to myself, well, let's, let's just pop this into the search engine and see if I can find anything on neurological uh, disorders and brain impairment from the COVID jab. And sure enough, yes, something did pop up. And so I've got this here. Uh, this is from um, National Library of Medicine. This is your government. <laughs> the NIH This is the National Institute for Health. This is Dr. Fascist's, you know, sandbox. <laughs> I'm playing in his sandbox right now. It says an official website of the United States government. Okay. And then it says here's how you know. I'm not going to worry about I believe it. You know, NIH, National Library of Medicine, and it's called pubmed.gov. So that's the website pub p u b don't get don't get excited about drinking, folks. PubMed, M-E-D, E D.gov. gov. So here I am at pubmed.gov from the NIH, the National Institute of Health, the National Library of Medicine. Okay. it was the only library card apparently. Uh, and the article is titled, are you ready for this? Vaccine-induced functional neurological disorders in the COVID-19 era. Let me say that again. Vaccine-induced functional neurological disorders in the COVID-19 era. Now, I've not published this on, on Facebook. It's not in our, either our private you know, vaccine project or some of the public pages, but it will be. I only found this like 10 minutes before the show. Okay. So let me give you the abstract. It's not a long article yet. I want to see where the rest of it might be. The abstract says, the large amount of information available to the public regarding vaccines against COVID-19 coupled with pandemic stress and increased somatic attention. Someone's going to have to explain what that is, could potentially precipitate development of functional neurological disorders called FNDs. The, the, see, I've even got an acronym for it. So, so, so the NIH is way ahead of Dr. Fascist. I don't think he, I don't even know if he reads his own, you know, propaganda, right? But this is interesting. So FNDs, functional neurological disorders following vaccination, A growing number of reports indicate that functional symptoms may follow COVID-19 vaccination, similar to those observed with other vaccines previously. But wait a minute. See, they already knew about this. Huh? What do you mean they already knew about this? (laughs) So so this thing was brought out and they said it was safe and effective and they already knew from previous vaccines that vaccines cause functional neurological disorders? Oh, boy. (laughs) Can you say scandal? Can you say, uh, you know, medical holocaust? Can you say catastrophe? They already knew. Here's the evidence right here from the, this is the government website. I'm not making this stuff up. You can look it up. Go to PubMed.gov. Vaccine-induced functional neurological disorders in the COVID-19 era. It's right there. From Aaron D'Souza, Raina Jacques, and Zangief Mohan. <laughs> there again, so there are your authors. Aaron D'Souza, Raina Jacques, and uh, that's J-A-Q-U-E-S, and Zangief Mohan. Okay? This, this is fascinating. <laughs> okay? So, so, so why would the airlines require a, a uh, COVID jab? That carries with it functional, uh, what do they call it? Functional neurological disorders. Well, no one of the pilots almost crashed into each other. They're all COVID jabbed. They, they, you know, you got to ground them. You have to ground every airline pilot with a jab and get them treatment to get so, so that they're they're uninjured. So you, you have to negate the jab. You got to take out all the side effects. And I'm serious about this. You know, every pilot needs. And I talked about this with uh, Dr. McCullough yesterday, uh, and he, you know, he says, "Yeah, pilots should be screened for myocarditis." I think they should be screened for everything. You know, and uh, of course, where would the airlines go? You know if people can't fly if they don't have enough pilots that have been jabbed Well, it's their own fault? It's the airline's own fault. It's the public's own fault for not screaming about this like we did, you that's the problem you know it, uh, anyway covid nineteen let so let me get back to this article and I got a couple more then I'll take a break, then i'll who knows what i'll do We'll go to the world world ending forum we got we got you know uh, an hour and a half more, so I have a lot of time here. I may even play another interview, I don't know, got some of my classic ones you know, situated here. Uh, Maybe I'll play some music. I mean, who knows what I'll do. Uh, We've got some time. Uh, I normally would prepare a, um, uh, one of my, uh, my classic WBY interviews, but uh, I I got so much information, I'm going to go over it. But I'm curious what what anybody thinks about this, because this is so new, new to me, like I said, today. Brand new information. So let's go back to see where I can pick up this article. It says, we review previously reported cases of FND following vaccination against COVID-19 and present three additional cases. While two patients presented to the emergency department with functional movement disorders, one patient presented with protracted limb weakness and sensory dysfunction. Those are things you need in an airplane, airplane cockpit, especially when it's landing. <laughs> you, know, you, need your, you need your limbs and you need your senses. Okay? The article says the superficial, superficial resemblance to Guillain-Barre syndrome, a known but uncommon complication of vaccination. Apparently it's a lot more common than it used to be, right? Uh, vaccination prompted an extensive workup. Clinicians need to convey the diagnosis of FND, that is, again, functional neurological disorder, in clear and unequivocal terms to facilitate in, in institution of appropriate therapy and rehabilitation, but importantly, also to dispel any doubts in the minds of the public regarding the safety of the available vaccines. So in other words, the vaccines don't have to be safe. The public just has to think they are. <laughs> That's the real issue here. It doesn't matter whether it's safe or not. As long as you think it is, you're okay, right? It says, importantly, to dispel any doubts in the minds of the public regarding the safety of the the available vaccines, which have never been approved, by the way. They're not approved. They're still the ones with the emergency use authorization, which means no liability. Okay? The approved ones, you know, comorbidity or whatever it's called, (laughs) they don't make it. So, so they approved one, and everybody thinks it's approved. It's not. The one that's approved, they haven't made. The one that's not approved, they, they are distributing because they have no liability for it. And they've got uh, both the, the law on their side and an emergency de- declaration on their side. So there's no liability for any of this stuff. Anyway, it says, given the presence of significant vaccine hesitancy in many countries, in other words, people who actually question the uh, legitimacy and sense of injecting people with a substance that nobody knows about for a disease that uh, most people have already had, <laughs> you know, and already immune to. Yeah, that would make me hesitant. I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant. I'm, I'm so hesitant. I'm, I'm actually refusing. i had since the beginning. I'm not vaccine hesitant. I'm, i I'm, vac- I'm anti-vaccine. I'm vaccine. You know, don't touch me. Just <laughs> Stay away. Right. Anyway, it says given the presence of significant vaccine hesitancy in many countries, this is critical to the success of the global immunization effort. So, in one sense, they say that vaccines, you know, cause. Uh, functional neurological disorders. On the other hand, they say that the public has to think they're safe and uh, we have to continue with our, our worldwide global you know, immunization effort. Well, wait a minute. Is this a disconnect? This is like the world-ending forum well, you know, under Klaus Schwab. Right? This is a disconnect. Okay? In other words, we have to proceed with it because that's our agenda, even though we're saying right here that uh, the thing that we're proceeding with to give to everybody on the planet carries with it functional neurological disorders. Brilliant. That's your government, that's your tax dollars at work. They can only come from a government site to be that hypocritical uh, as it goes. Well, then I kept looking. And, you know, you have to go through, uh, to find one good website, you have to go through about 30, you know, leftist bad ones. <laughs> but they do pop up. They, they, uh, they manage to sneak into the search engines. Um, so their algorithms, their Al gore isms, aren't perfect yet. So this is what I found from the Yale News. Okay, now the Yale, Yale is where they have uh, someone that I've been in contact with, Dr. Harvey, Harvey Risch. And Dr. Harvey Risch is the Yale epidemiologist. Uh, he's been on with uh, Senator Ron Johnson a couple of times. Fascinating, got a really deep voice, uh, a very interesting uh, person. I've, and I've been able to communicate with him. Uh, and I'm hoping to hear back, you know, more of us Because uh, he may have had a hand in this, although it says the articles by Kevin Wang, that's W-A-N-G. And this is from February 24th, 2017. Well, why is that significant? It's significant because that's when Trump took office. <laughs> okay. That's why. And it's also significant. This, this was two years before they imposed covid the COVID bioweapon on us. So this is, to me, this is really interesting, right? Anyway, it says vaccines linked to mental disorders by Yale study. But you haven't heard about this. I hadn't. <laughs> and it's got, a, it's got a big needle shaped into a, a question mark. I'll, I'll be posting this one too. Listen to this. A recent Yale study has called into question the safety of vaccines. And could this is before COVID. This is before the COVID, the, mRNA, the messenger RNA gene jab, the snake oil. This is before the snake oil shot. They, they were questioning it you know, back in 2017. Well, that's interesting. Wasn't that the same year that the TED Talk came about from the, the, from the Moderna chief that says we've hacked the software of life, meaning we've, we've found a way to uh, gene modify your entire being? Yeah, I think it was about that time. Anyway, two years before. Uh, that's also, this is a month before. Uh, no, two months before. This is February of 2017. This is two months before they changed the uh, pandemic, severity, uh, pandemic guidelines. In 2007, they had a pandemic severity index. They had graduated levels of, of death from a pandemic and gradually ratcheted up the the security mandates, the closures, the school closures, the distance, the masks, you know, all the things they did. But in 2017, knowing that the pandemic was almost here, you know, they uh, they got rid of the, the pandemic severity index. They they changed everything so they could impose lockdowns, whether anybody was sick with COVID or not. They just had to declare an emergency. And by declaring an the emergency, they said, yep, we can lock everything down. See, that's the difference. People don't know. This is how I know it was planned. That's when, That's when I knew. When I saw the difference between the 2007, gu- and I wanted to talk to Peter about this too. When I saw the difference between the 2007 guidelines and the difference between uh, and the 2017, you know, ten, 10 years later, and I realized they would taken out all the safeguards. Made it, uh, they, they've given themselves the ability to lock down everything. Now, of course, that's blatantly unconstitutional. You can't do that. You can't do it. You know, and, and people, uh, you hear this argument all the time. Well, it's an emergency. We have to suspend the Constitution. No, you can't. The Constitution is at its greatest need during an emergency. It's at its greatest need when the government wants to suspend it, because he can't. Once it was ordained and established, it's enforced 24-7, 365 days a year. There is no suspension, revocation. There is no uh, you know, reasonable restriction. There is no compelling state interest. None of that stuff, That's all made-up stuff, and none of it's legal. So none of those mandates were legal. The only time you, there is something you can do is when someone actually has symptoms. You know, so all that asymptomatic transfer nonsense and, you know, Dr. McCullough dismissed that, too. And all those things they did to to lock down the healthy people and jab the healthy people. And you don't do things. You can't do things to healthy people. Okay, the only time the government can have a public health effect on anybody is when they have demonstrated symptoms of a dangerous, contagious disease. That's it. They can stop people at the border for it. Sure. Because you don't want to bring it in the country. That's no problem. Government can secure the borders. But if you have no symptoms, if you have, you know, there's nothing about you that uh, says you have dangerous communicable disease. If you're a healthy person, they can't do it. They can't lock you down. And yet they did because people went along with it. Back to the article. A recent Yale study has called into question the safety of vaccines and could lead and could lend fuel to anti-vaccine advocates like Robert F. Kennedy. Yeah, me too. Who has already written a piece covering the study on the news site EcoWatch. The study published last month in the journal, frontiers in psychiatry. Well, that's interesting. So psychiatrists use drugs. So it's interesting now, do psychiatrists recommend vaccines? Do psychiatrists deal with vaccine hesitancy? I don't know. We'll find out. The study published last month in the journal Frontiers in Psychiatry reports that patient this is my psychiatric voice. So when I talk about psychiatry, I'll give you my calming voice, my low, deep, calming male voice to let you know that we're dealing with psychiatry at this time. All right, (laughs) I can't do that for a while, I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, so so the report was that patients diagnosed with neuropsychiatric disorders like obsessive compulsive disorder and anorexia nervosa were more likely, say again, more likely, one more time, third time, more likely to have received vaccinations three months prior to their diagnosis. Gee, why didn't this come out? Hey, you know, before the COVID vaccine, why didn't this come out in 2020? It was written in 2017. Let me say this again. The study published last month in the journal Frontiers in Psychiatry reports that patients diagnosed with neuropsychiatric disorders like obsessive compulsive disorder and anorexia nervosa were more likely to have received vaccinations three months prior to their diagnosis. Isn't that fascinating? Through the collaboration between researchers at Pennsylvania State University and the Yale Child Study Center, Yale's in Pennsylvania, uh, no, Yale's New Haven, Connecticut, I'm sorry. Anyway. So it through the collaboration between researchers at Pennsylvania State University. Yeah, that's where the the Penn Center, <laughs> you know, Joe Biden's China um, factory of classified documents. Yeah, that's that's in Pennsylvania. Uh, so the uh, Pennsylvania State University, I think, and the Yale Child Study Center yield the results that this is back to the article yield the results that seem to dispute the safety of vaccines. Really yield the results that seem to dispute the safety of vaccines. The authors asserted that the study needs replication on a larger scale, no kidding, and does not establish a causal relationship between vaccines and neuropsychiatric disorders. Yeah, bigger studies. So one study says it seems to uh, dispute the safety of vaccines. On the other hand, they want a bigger study. Why? Because they don't like the results of that study. That's why. So we're got to have different results, right? So anyway, it says, so then it says there's a fair amount of internet of interest, excuse me, There's a fair amount of interest in the vaccine safety question, so let's try to be critical and do further studies that will help examine this issue in a more thorough way. And that is from James Leckman, L-E-C-K-M-A-N, professor of pediatrics, that's kid medicine, and one of the study's five authors. Oh, five authors, peer-reviewed. Yeah, not bad. Article says, using information from a health insurance claims database, Leckman and his co-authors examined the correlations between specific vaccines, and various neurological disorders in 6- to 15-year-old children. Why are 6- to 15-year-old children in this psychological you know, arena you know, getting vaccines and all that? This is a whole bunch of questions. Anyway, it says children with open wounds and broken bones were used as the two control groups. Well, that's interesting. It says while only about 10% of children with open wounds had received vaccinations, why was it, what, like tetanus? Are you talking about tetanus? They don't say it. This is while only about 10% of children with open wounds had received vaccinations, vaccines have been given to over 20% of children later diagnosed with anorexia.
2: Hmm.
1: Higher numbers of vaccinated children were also found among those who were diagnosed with OCD, that's obsessive compulsive disorder, anxiety disorder, and ADHD. <laughs> that's me, <laughs> you know, as soon as three months after the vaccination. Hmm. And none of this came up during the whole time that the CDC was pushing to have six-month-old babies get a COVID shot that they couldn't possibly need that they probably were already immune to from, you know, mom, placenta, the immune system, you know, and that's, that's, that's the Jim Thorpe question. So Dr. Jim Thorpe, you know, our babies, do babies pick up COVID immunity from mom, you know, before they're born? I'm just curious. I know they pick up vaccine damage. Why wouldn't they pick up COVID immunity? You know, if, if, if mom is immune to COVID, why wouldn't the baby develop an immunity to COVID, you know, uh, as the baby's developing? I don't know. Makes sense to me. Anyway, says so higher numbers of vaccinated children were also found among those diagnosed with OCD, ADHD, uh, anxiety disorders, and stuff three months after the vaccination. Here we go. Other findings in this, however, reveal that these correlational results should be taken with a grain of salt. Of course. <laughs> that, yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's see what the other side says. They say the broken bone control group also included a higher percentage of vaccinated children, though not as high as that of the anorexia group. Furthermore, vaccinations were more likely to be associated with a lower incidence of major depression and bipolar disorder. <laughs> You're going to have to explain that one. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know. This, this is what the study says. So, they, so it, it ups some things, and it, it's, uh, apparently it's, uh, they're saying it downplays others. Interesting. Then it says the researchers found correlations for one vaccine in particular, the influenza vaccine, commonly known as the flu shot, right? Which was associated with higher rates of OCD, anorexia, anxiety disorder, and tic disorder. T- is that like uh, Tourette's? <laughs> you know, um, that's what I'm thinking. So wait a minute. So the very people that are that are, are giving us you know our, our healthcare, nurses, doctors, aren't they all required to get flu shots? You know, uh, everybody from dental labs to uh, you know into urgent care to I mean, you name it, <laughs> they, they all, they're all required to get flu shots. I mean, uh, there's tons of people who are required to get flu shots. And the, do you want somebody, you know, with the higher rate of OCD, anorexia, anxiety disorder, you know, a tick disorder taking care of you because they got a flu shot? <clears throat> the study says a biological explanation for these correlations has not been found, but a potential mechanism could lie in the body's immune response to vaccines. That's interesting. You would think they would work this out before they give you more vaccines? Apparently not. The article says vaccines work by prodding the immune system to produce antibodies against viruses and bacteria, thus priming the body against these pathogens before they enter it. Well, wait a minute. Isn't that what your immune system does anyway? So your immune system doesn't turn on until it has to. You know, it's not going to turn on and sort of make up stuff that might affect your body sometime in the future, maybe. It's kind of like prior restraint. It's, making some, it's, it's punishing you for something you think you might do. You know, that, that's, that, that's, that's illegal. In the same way, the immune system is not going to gear up for something that you know isn't going to happen. That doesn't make sense. But the immune system's geared to you know gear up for something that does happen, like COVID. You know, two days for me, two days of rest, gone. Um, but it says vaccines were prodding the immune system. Well, that your immune system prods itself. So this is the crazy part: your immune system prods itself once a, a uh, something enters your system. So the question is, if if uh, if a, a chemically produced quote vaccine you know, is necessary to jumpstart your immune system. Why do we have an immune system? Why is not your immune system tested for the ability to jumpstart when you get a new pathogen? I mean, that'd be something I would look into, right? Why would? You, why, yeah, but they give you the vaccines first, and they don't even ask if your immune system works. See, this this is where I knew there was. A, this is why, how I knew the fix was in too, because the rollout for the jab was everybody gets the jab, everybody has to get the jab. You know, we don't want a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Okay, well, why would you do that for people that are already immune? See, so the fact that they weren't testing immunity first is how I knew this was a fraud. You know, pretty simple stuff. You just use a little rationality. You can figure most of this stuff out. Anyway, it says, a 2015 study published in Science Translational Medicine. <laughs> what is that? Trans- Science Translational Medicine discovered that antibodies elicited by the pandemic influenza vaccine cross-reacted with a human brain protein, hypocretin receptor 2. Okay, now you're out of my league. Okay, I don't know these terms. But that's what they're saying. Uh, or actually, I, you know, I, I skipped a sentence. So some antibodies, however, can react against not only the intended pathogen proteins, but also against human proteins. A phenomenon called cross-reactivity. Let, let me start this paragraph again. This is important. Vaccines work by prodding the immune system to produce antibodies against viruses and bacteria, thus priming the body against these pathogens before they enter it. So what they're, what they're saying is that a vaccine you know, has your immune system ready to go. It's already dealt with uh, an inert form of the virus, uh, or it's dealt with a form of it, so it already knows to, how to recognize when the actual virus enters your body. Whether that's necessary or not, I think it depends on the, on the speed at which the virus or bacteria work. But in principle, it's, it seems like a logical idea. In practice, it's turning out to be something quite different. Anyway, it so says some antibodies, however, can react against not only the intended pathogen proteins, but also against human proteins. So wait a minute. Isn't, isn't this what they call an autoimmune disease? Auto is Latin for self or is Greek for self. I think it's Greek. Greek for self. So it's self-immunity. So in other words, if you have an autoimmune disease, your body is fighting your body. Your body thinks that your body is the enemy. Okay. So if, if you're given a, quote, vaccine for an immune system that's perfectly functioning and it causes your body to, to create immunity against your own body, then the vaccine's then you harm. And that breaks the first rule of medicine, first do no harm. Interesting study. It says some antibodies, however, can react against not only the intended pathogen proteins, but also against human, pro- human proteins, a phenomenon called cross-reactivity. I'd call that self-destruction. <laughs> you cannot cross-reactivity. And then it says a 2015 study published in Science Translational Medicine discovered that antibodies elicited by the pandemic influenza vaccine cross-reacted with a human brain protein. Well, do you really want the flu shot going to your brain? This is some, there's something wrong here. There's something, you know, what was that? Uh, um, Bill Murray in Stripes. There's something wrong here. Something wrong with. There's something seriously wrong with this. Okay, there's something seriously wrong here. And then the article says what I just mentioned a minute ago: autoimmunity. Hmm. I, I, I love it when I guess right. Autoimmunity, in which antibodies attack human proteins, is also known to play a critical role in normal brain development. Leckman noted. According to Lechman, if children were experiencing inflammation, a process that prom- promotes autoimmunity. Isn't encephalitis, isn't that brain inflation? Isn't that what it's, the, the, that's a, you get it to, you know, encephalitis, isn't it, your, your brain swells and it kills you? That's what I thought. So if they're experiencing inflammation of the brain or it just says inflammation, we'll find out. So at the time of vaccination, the combination of inflammation and vaccination could have deleterious effects on brain development. No kidding, Sherlock. And you know the real word. Such data on vaccination time is not included in the database on which the study was based. Well that was convenient. <laughs> then it says another biological explanation could involve genetic factors. This is according to Lechman again. Prior studies in Scandinavian countries and China found oh there's a reliable source, found that the H one N one influenza vaccine was associated with narcolepsy. What's that? Falling asleep and dying? <laughs> the influence of multiple genes found in specific populations could be responsible. Oh, okay. So in other words, they're not checking your, your genetic makeup before giving you a, a shot. See, that's the problem with, with the, the vaccine. They give the same one to everybody. And the whole purpose of, of messenger RNA, uh, the original purpose of, of messenger RNA gene jabs was that it was tailored to the individual. So you would get a shot that would only benefit you. Well, that's time-consuming and expensive. It's much easier to mass-produce a jab that you can just jab into everybody, and that's where your profits are. So it's economies of scale. So it's not, a, it's not medicine anymore. It's economics. So we don't have health care anymore. We have economic care. <laughs> so so the, the, the fascist cabal, of big government health, big pharma, and big tech, you know, have all combined together to, to uh, create good economic health for themselves at your expense. Fascinating. Back to the article. Almost done. Yale professor. I think I'm almost done. Yeah, I'm almost done. Okay, good. Then I'm going to take a break. Yale professor of pathology, John Rose, suggested that the act of vaccine administration, rather than the vaccine itself, could, have, could even have an effect on neuropsychiatric development. What's the, what's the act of vaccine administration? He says, recalling his childhood experience of being one of the first children to receive the polio vaccine. Oh, okay. Yeah. So so they were terrified of it then because they didn't know what it would do. Remember, too, and remember this always. And I've said this before, and it was really nice to have uh, Dr. Peter McCulloch confirm it, that the way polio was eradicated was with sanitation. In other words, good sewers, fresh water, and as I added, chlorine in the swimming pools. That's why I get rid of polio. By the time the quote polio vaccine came along, polio was pretty much gone. Okay. Take that to the bank. Look it up. Don't, you know, look it up online. I don't care. The information is plainly out there. The polio vaccine, as most vaccines come along after the disease is already gone. That's why they look so successful. So they time it right. So, so they time it. So the disease is pretty much gone. Then they give you, then you get the vaccine. And then the, the medical, the, the, you know, the, the fascist, you know, big pharma comes out and says, oh, look what we did. We cured it. No, you didn't. <laughs> It was already going. Anyway, uh, then it says we have to line up in school and we were getting needles stuck in our arms. Rose said that kind of trauma could, could be lending to these kinds of neuropsychiatric disease. The age range of the children in study is quite sensitive. Well, this is interesting. Okay. I want to, I want to talk about this for a minute. I have something, almost an hour here. This is kind of, well, I got time today and, and I don't think uh, nobody's called in. Uh, that's okay. And let me just check my live chat, Live chat, chat. nobody's live chatting either. Okay, fine. I'll keep going. Uh, when I was in Australia, and this is something, another thing I could bring up with uh, um, Dr. McCullough sometime in, in the future, that uh, we got a polio shot in Australia. and This is back in the 60s, mid-60s, right? So I'm at private school, well-known private school, good place to go to school. You know, they thought they were doing the right thing. And the way they did it was they had five needles for the entire school. We're talking six to 800 kids. I forgot how many of us were there. Uh, it was like uh, you know, elementary through middle school through high school. Uh, it's maybe more than that. It's probably more closer to 1,000 because there's like a couple of different schools. Anyway, we all lined up and everybody got uh, this polio shot. I still got the mark on my arm. All right? uh, and so we got this shot uh, and they used five needles for the entire school. Well, how do you do that? You've got to sterilize the needles between shots, right? Five needles, 1,000 kids, do the math, right? They run it through a Bunsen burner. <laughs> they put it through a Bunsen burner. All right? This is how they sterilize the needles. So they'd they, they run it through a Bunsen burner and they'd, have, they, they'd fill it with the, the next jab. Right. And they let it cool. I was like six, seven years old. I didn't know what was going on. I knew something was wrong, though, because the, you know how they have that little swab. They wipe your arm. So one person wiped my arm in one place. And then they gave me the shot in a completely different place. I am thinking, oh, that's not right. And then when I saw I didn't see the needles until after I got the jab. Then I look, I saw only five needles. Said, that's not right either. I'm Like five, maybe like six or seven. So, so I'm like six, or seven years old. No, I had to be eight. Uh, this is in Australia. Anyway, so I'm looking at this going, wait a minute. I remember in the doctor's office, you get one needle, then they throw the needle away. I'm seeing five needles for the entire school. This is wrong, too. And, of course, I've already had the jab, you know, so I'm thinking, uh, <laughs> I don't, I'm not doing this anymore. And so, of course, you know, as soon as I got choice of my own health care, I'm like, you know, I took some shots, but I, I, I researched them. And this was the beginning of my uh, my anti-vax belief was the fact that you don't use five needles run through a Bunsen burner to inject an entire school. And who knows how many other schools they injected with those five needles. That's probably why my immune system is good by default. But the point is that that's not how you practice medicine. You know, you don't, you don't have big needles, you know, run through a Bunsen burner to sterilize, hoping that it's sterilized and inject, you know, what, however many schools they did with the same five needles. And these people are doing this every day. And these were the health professionals. How come they never questioned that? Oh, just following orders. Oh, okay, now I understand. So is now they're saying that this could have led to childhood trauma. No, <laughs> I was upset, by it. it didn't stop me from doing it. I didn't, I didn't change my life because of it, but I always remembered it. I remembered it because I thought it was a flawed procedure, and that's when I started questioning medicine at the age of eight. <laughs> you know, and Like I said, I still have the mark on my arm to prove it. It's like, oh, there it is. Yep, yep. There's, that's when I shared a needle with uh, um, thousands of other students. I mean, who knows? You know, unwillingly you know, subjected to a medical experiment at a very early age. And so you think about these things. And so do I, you know, take vaccines or, or, you know, recommend anybody else get them? No. And I do have ADHD, but I already had ADHD by that point. so I don't think it was a result of childhood trauma uh, or, or or any of the shots that I received. I think I was born with it because I can always remember this. All right. Anyway, says we had to line up in school, right, I read that Rose. This is back to the the, the uh, person we're quoting here, who developed a vaccine template that was used for the development of the current Ebola vaccine. Well, that's interesting. He trusts the current process of drug development to establish safety measures for vaccines. Huh. I don't. And here's the key. It says, on average, a vaccine takes 15 to 20 years to be fully approved. Let me say that one more time for all those that think warp speed was a good idea, including President Trump. You were all wrong. You cannot develop a safe and effective vaccine in one year. It's impossible. You have no track record. You have no studies. You have no long-term effects. You simply can't do it. And this Yale study Yale study says very clearly, on average, it takes 15 to 20 years to get a vaccine fully approved. I wonder what partially approved is. So the only way they could do it is with an emergency. And the question is, do we have an emergency? No, we had an emergency of government power. We didn't have an emergency of COVID. Most people got it and got over it, and it was no big deal. 99% of the population, in fact. Last of it says, John Treanor, Chief of Infectious Diseases at the University of Rochester Medical Center, voiced concerns about the database citing issues of immeasurable confounding variables. That's a great word, Uh, three words, (laughs) and the extent to which the control group actually serve as effective controls. That's a good point, too. Nevertheless, he emphasized the importance of vaccine safety and further research to understand it. Well, why would you emphasize vaccine safety if you don't know they're safe? So you're already biased. Okay, so he's a biased source. You don't know. I'm a biased source, too, by the way. The evidence I've seen over my lifetime convinces me that these things are far more dangerous than they are good, and that uh, treatment, if you get a disease, treatment is much better. The best is prevention. Okay? You, know, you don't want to treat polio. You want to have good sanitation to prevent it. Prevention is the single best way uh, of, of health care. Always has been prevention. You know, in other words, don't let people into your country who have a disease that's dangerous. That's prevention. You know, clean up the sewers, clean up the, the roads, clean up the, the, the public areas, things like that. Prevention, prevent disease. The best, you know, it, it was a, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Isn't that the old saying? I need an apple. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. Remember when the, the, the thought was that an apple a day keeps it? You remember when the doctor was like a not, not a good thing? <laughs> well, here we are again guess I better get some apples. It says even, this is the last of the study, even the authors noted that the results of the study are too inconclusive to warrant any reconfiguration of public health strategies. In other words, it doesn't matter what information they're going to find, they're going to go ahead and, and, and push the jab anyway. <laughs> Let me translate for you. Then it says, here's a quote, given the modest magnitude of these findings, in contrast to the clear public health benefits of the timely administration of vaccines in preventing mortality and morbidity in childhood, infectious diseases we encourage families to maintain vaccination schedules according to the center for disease control and prevention guidelines that's what they write in the study are you effing kidding me no <laughs> no this is crazy talk no i'm not going to do that you know the cdc you know the the, the cdc fbi <laughs> according to dr mercola from yesterday no anyway i'm going to post this article uh, after the show so you'll get that in the meantime let me put this one over here Let me play you some stuff i'm way behind but that's okay um, so I'm going to take a few minutes. We'll take a bit of a break here. The time is seven fifty-six Central Time. We've got uh, uh, Jerome Bell joining us in an hour, and uh, I'm going to we'll, next the next hour we're going to talk about the world ending forum, and so we have a lot of stuff to do there. Uh, in the meantime, let me play you some stuff. Yeah, let me see. We'll start with this one here. Okay. Anyway, I'll be back in uh, in a few minutes. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5.00 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive, I go there, you should too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? Their website is gracecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gracecare.adm@gmail.com, at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Grace Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Okay, I'm back, and we've got another hour before uh, Jerome Bell calls in. I've, I've uh, been communication with him this morning, so all is well. Uh, all is well with the Bell. <laughs> Sorry, Jerome. It's just, ah, ADHD. I tell you, it, really, ADHD is a gift. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, it's kind of like uh, uh, I, I feel sometimes I'm channeling, channeling, you know, Robin Williams and Rush Limbaugh at the same time. So they're they're kind of like my spirit guides. Um, so yeah, that's that's what's going on now. It's kind of fun. Um, all right. So we've got uh, so we can, well, let's, let's get to as We're in the news mode. Let me let, let me play a news thing, and let's go to the uh, the world ending forum and see what's going on. It's not working.
2: Hmm. I can't hear it. All right.
1: That's oh, almost done. <laughs> it is not working at all. So um, let's see. I I don't even know. It could be playing. It could be talking over it, but I can't hear it. I don't know where it is. Well, it's ended now. Let me see if our our new teletype is working, see if any of my sound effects are still working. Am I still on the air? (laughs) That's that's what I'm thinking right now. Am I still on the air? So we'll find out in a minute because we don't have uh, anything else. So what I was going to play next was our new teletype uh, saying, and let's go now to the World Economic Forum. Nope, can't hear that one either. Uh, okay. Let's do this. And Do this. and Do this. I have no idea if I'm broadcasting. <laughs> this is where I want meters so I can find out. I have no idea if I'm back. Um, So tell me on live chat, you know, because I want to make sure I'm broadcasting. Otherwise, I have to call in. But as far as I know, I'm on the show. Let me see if, if anything is going to play right now. This is crazy. Uh, I'll kind of do this really short. Um uh, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, let's, let's play my, my Biden Dark Winter see if this one's working. Joe Biden's Dark Winter. No freedom. No liberty. No guns. No representation. No oil. No coal. No nuclear power. No space force. No constitution. No family gatherings. No vacations. Just taxes. Work. Misery. Masks. Lockdowns and ever more government this is what will happen if you let Marxists steal the election. This has been a public service announcement of action radio reminding you it's time to get off your butt and save your country. Okay, so under the assumption that I am actually broadcasting right now <laughs> let uh, let's hope for the best and keep going because I' to uh, you know uh, know uh, when some things, things don't play, something doesn't go right I get worried. And again, I've asked Blog Talk for oh, about four years now to have little dB meters, you know, like every other production place has, uh, digital uh, decibel meters to let me know how much signal I'm putting out here from my microphone. That way, I know if I'm actually on the air or not. But uh, so far, guess what? <laughs> no, <laughs> they haven't done it. So we're gonna work on that. All right, let's uh, let's go to some different sources here. And this is there's a, um, a website called Quartz, just like it sounds, Q U A R T Z. And what they do, they they put a daily article. Um, on the uh, let's continue reading here on what's going on in Davos. So Davos is, and I was watching this g- great you know news thing last night, one American news. The uh, it's almost all private jets. The private jets have to fly in an airport that's an hour and a half drive from Davos. Uh, Davos doesn't have an airport. <laughs> it's how remote this place right? So they really want to hide. So they have to do that. Then they have to take a helicopter or drive. And of course, the richest of them are taking helicopters, you know, or they drive you know, gas powered vehicles. So. You know, uh, you know, organic fuel for me, but none for thee. you know, rules for, for thee and, and no rules for me. You know, we know how this works. Right. So these are the worst elitist, totalitarian, dictatorial, you know, egotistical, cult leading, you know, uh, just terrorists that I think the world has ever seen uh, for at least since the 1930s. All right. Now, fortunately, they can't do what they want to do, which is start world wars and get us all enslaved and, and, and you know, create another World War too. That's what they want to do. They want worldwide conflict. They love war. War is creating a war, right? You can, you can destroy entire populations, get people to, uh, you know, for their own safety. And the only thing uh, that's, uh, the, and if you can't have a war, then you have a pandemic. <laughs> that's the next thing. That's the second best way to control people. If you don't have a war to control people, you have a pandemic. And so I think they think that's more profitable for a pandemic than to have a war. So they try the pandemic route for world control, world domination. Same old problem. Anyway, so this website called Quartz, here's an article by cement Subramanian, Uh, and it published just a little bit ago. I think this was yesterday. Greetings, Davos delegates and WEF watchers. That would be us. And I called the World Ending Forum. And I said it before in the first hour. They they don't want the world to end. They just want you to think the world will end without them. And so that's how it works. So uh, Samantha says, greeting. Oh, it says Neil Stevenson, the science fiction writer who coined the term metaverse in 1992, appeared Wednesday on a panel about the metaverse. W.E.F. programmers, pat yourselves on the back for this one. (laughs) His left leg jittered and jounced like a metaverse frame on a bad data connection. She says, how would you describe the metaverse now, Neil? And nascent, he drawled. We've got a ways to go. Still, he marveled at how people today using their 2D screens and their WASD keys on a Victorian typewriter uh, keyboard has managed to immerse themselves in the 3D environments of video games. And this is this kind of drips out a little bit. Do you want to keep reading this one? This is maybe not as good as I thought it was on, on first impression. Um, they're not going to let me read it. Oh, that's interesting. Come on, guys. He says, continue reading. I click this button. And now it's not letting me click the button. Okay, fine. I'll go to another website. So much for that. It's live radio. I don't care. Let's go to the main website because we can make fun enough of, of the stuff that Davos is saying uh, from their own propaganda, which is really funny. So I have several websites. Just go to World Economic Forum. You know, you can't miss it. I've got the home. I've got the program. Uh, I've got all this kind of stuff. But let's start with the, the meeting overview. So this has been going on now since Monday. Monday was kind of like the greeting day, the, the you know, the coming in and, you know, uh, meet and greet. And so they, they really got down to business Tuesday uh, and then yesterday. And today is the, the, the fourth day. And then tomorrow is the last day. And so here's what it says. So I have here World Economic Forum annual meeting, uh, even though it was only seven months ago. <laughs> it was the last one. last one was the springtime, right? COVID. 16 to 20, January 2023. And it's and this is from this is cooperation in a fragmented world. Well, who's fragmenting the world? They are. <laughs> That's what they do. All right. So then it says Davos Closters 16th to 20th January. This is the world. This is from the World Economic Forum. This is directly from the, the, the propagandist mouth. This is the world today. Is at a critical inflection point? What's an inflection point? <laughs> You know, are we critically inflected? What is an inflection? Let me look that up. Hang on a sec. This is, I, I got to find out what these people are talking about. They use, they use words very strangely and think they sound impressive because they do that. and Inflection. Grammar. I change the form of a word, typically the ending, to express a grammatical function or attribute such, t- such as tense mood person number case and gender. Huh. The modulation of intonation or, or pitch in the voice. That's what an inflection is, okay? Now, maybe this is the wrong choice of words. I would say crit- they should have said a critical intersection point, but they didn't. They said a critical inflection point. So an inflection, I always thought, it was how you, uh, how, how you use your voice to, uh, to add in uh, you know, more meaning to a word. If I said we had a crisis, you wouldn't get too excited. If I said, we have a crisis, you know, that's an inflection, okay? But uh, they don't say that. So they said today, the world of today is a critical inflection point. In other words, they have to put the right emphasis on the words You know, so you get the right meaning. (laughs) Okay, don't interpret. Just listen to what we say. All right. Then it says the twin triggers of the COVID nineteen pandemic and the war in Ukraine, both of which were previously, you know, were arranged in advance. Right? They didn't say that I said that. Okay. Both of which are arranged in advance. Back to the article. Rattled an already brittle global system. That's not true either. The world's doing. Economic growth in the world's largest economies is stalling while navigating headwinds from rising food and energy prices. Okay. Again, who caused the economic growth to stall? Regulations. International banks, central banks, you know, economic policy, uh, borrowing money, you know, you know, cutting our energy. So all these things are self-imposed by governments. So obviously, this is part of the plan. So in other words, this is, this is the Reichstag fire. All right? So the Reichstag fire is what happened in, in Nazi Germany under Hitler in 1933. Hitler said, we've got terrible enemies out there. You need us to save you from the Jews, save save you from, uh, you know, the communists. Of course, they were (laughs) the the next worst thing being Nazis, right? But they didn't say that. So you need us to save you. And then, of course, they burned down their own parliament building and said, look, look who did this, the communists, the Jews, the the enemies of the state. Look what they did. They burned down our parliament. Of course, Hitler burned down the parliament, right? And then blamed everybody else and said, you need us to protect you from the people that burned down the parliament. (laughs) Them. (laughs) the, The world economic firm is the same thing. They define a problem that doesn't exist and then give a solution that's not necessary, them. This is what this whole thing is about. Doom and gloom, the world's ending, you need us to save you. Well, the world's not ending, and we don't need them to save us. It's a cult. So they don't believe it. But because they have such impact, we have to report on it. It's, they say for the first time since the 1970s, oh, well, that's interesting. That's probably when these, these kiddies were born, a lot of them, or grew up. For the first time since the 1970s, the world is facing a precarious disequilibrium with growth and inflation moving in opposite directions. Okay, let me see if I can figure what that means. Disequilibrium. So so things are not equal. So growth is shrinking and inflation is moving in opposite directions. Well, that makes perfect sense. That's not disequilibrium. That's government policy, right? Because growth, what is growth? Economic growth, you know, money, uh, raw materials, and labor you know, coming together to produce goods and services. That's growth. So the more people, the more money, the more raw material, the more services being produced, the more goods being produced, the more your growth. That's what economic growth is, okay? And then it says inflation. Well, inflation is government-produced. So growth is private-produced. Inflation is government-produced. So there's, there's no, there's no, there is no equilibrium between growth and government. <laughs> the are two totally different things. Growth is done by the private sector, and inflation is caused by government. By borrowing money they don't have, printing money to cover the loans for the money they don't have uh, and putting money into circulation to reduce the value of the dollar so the prices have to rise so that people get the same value for their money. You know, If you re- reduce the dollar 50%, then your $10 good has to cost $20 because that $20 only has the purchasing power of the previous $10 before they, before they caused inflation. That's how inflation works. It's totally separate than growth. Now, inflation will stop growth, <laughs> but, they're, but they're caused by different things. So the fact that they're moving in opposite directions makes perfect sense. You know, the more inflation, the less growth. Yes, they are moving in opposite directions, but there's no, there is no equilibrium between them. So to equate growth and inflation is irrational because the they're separate things. They affect each other, but there is no equilibrium, you know, between them. There is no, you know, rise in growth and lowering inflation. There is no rise in inflation and the lowering in growth. They don't have an equilibrium. You know, they can both rise or they can both fall. You can, you can have inflation go up, and you can have growth outpace it. You can have uh, massive growth and no inflation. In fact, generally, that's what's going to happen. The less the inflation, the more the growth. So if your equilibrium is an, is an opposite equilibrium, then that makes sense. But the idea of a disequilibrium is pure propaganda. We'll mm-hmm. move on. So this is occurring alongside heightened geoeconomic fragmentation. What does that mean? Financial sector vulnerabilities include rich asset prices and high debt levels, well, that's government imposed, and a climate crisis spiraling out of control, that's not true, which could magnify any growth uh, slowdown, particularly in emerging markets. Unless these systemic and interconnected risks are addressed, the promise of a decade of action may become a decade of uncertainty and fragility. Boy, that sounds scary. (laughs) Good thing it's not true. Okay, so this is occurring alongside heightened geoeconomic fragmentation. Okay, let's let's see what they try to mean by geoeconomic. So geo is world geopolitics, world politics So geo geography, the the, the map of the world, the study, you know, geology, the study of the world's, you know, minerals, resources, atmosphere, everything else like that. Geoeconomics, the study of world economics, fragmentation. Well, of course, it's fragmentation because every country has their own economic policy. Every country has their own policies on everything. So, of course, it's fragmented. So the only way you can bring geoeconomics together is under one system. Oh, oh, this is where they're going. Okay. So if you have one system, if you want to have geoeconomic unity, the only way you can do that is to put all the countries in the world with all the different policies, all the different legislatures, all the different people, all the different cultures and history under one world government to unify the geoeconomics. That's what they're talking about. Betcha, betcha. Then it says financial sector vulnerabilities. The financial sector and free market does fine. They're winners and losers. Good companies succeed. Bad companies go broke. That's the free market. That's not a vulnerability. That's just common sense. <laughs> okay. Then it says including stretched asset prices. What's a stretched asset price? You know, and high debt levels. Well, high debt levels are caused by government. I have no idea what stretched asset prices means. Then it says, and a climate crisis spiraling out of control. no. Not true. This is, this is pure fear. Okay. I'm going to find it probably for tomorrow. I'm going to find something uh, because Robert Spencer canceled for tomorrow, so we're going to get them next week. So, so Jihad Watch, the head of Jihad Watch is off. So I'm going to see if I can get really into the whole idea of, of what these people are actually using you know, climate for uh, in terms of uh, world domination, totalitarian control, fear, and a bunch of other stuff. Control of resources as well. This is why they want electricity for everything, monopower. You don't, you know, I got to get a bumper sticker, no monopower, no, elect, you know, no electricity is the only source of power. And he says, okay, so anyway, he says, could magnify It's not down particularly emerging market. Emerging markets, you know, in other words, third world countries, that's what an emerging market is. That's, that's like saying an inner city as opposed to a ghetto. <laughs> it's, it's more polite language, you know. So an emerging market is, is a third world country. That usually has a dictatorship, doesn't have a free market, and is is based on on huge political uh, corruption only. Um, so that's that's what they're calling it. So an emerging market is one to be exploited, you know. Now they're going to call it development. They used to call it colonialism. <laughs> okay. So the so the new term is is you know if you're developing an emerging market, you know um, that what that used to be called in the 1800s, you know, a col- adding a colony. <laughs> okay. So that's what's going. On. That's what China does. All right. So this, unless they sense the systemic. And interconnected risks are addressed. We're not addressed at all. The, the, the climate has nothing to do with the national debt. Are you people insane? Well, obviously, yes. Right? So that's the thing. So they're trying to tell you. This is where it gets funny, right? They're trying to tell you that the, the, the government debt is connected to the climate crisis. Well, there is no climate crisis. There is a crisis of debt, but that, that's, that's easily solved. Stop spending money. You know, Janet Yellen comes up and says you know, that same big lie. Well, we have to raise the debt limit to meet our obligations. No, you don't. You have to have your obligations meet the debt limit. <laughs> That's the, nobody ever says that. I don't know why people don't say it that plainly. The way to get around having the debt limit you know, not be able to meet the obligations is to cut the obligations so they meet the debt limit. See, but they don't want to cut the obligations. They don't want to cut the spending. They, 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 they will lie through the teeth to get more and more spending, thus creating an economic crisis, which we're living in right now. Uh, so the decade of action may become a decade of uncertainty. Okay, there we go. Do so I want to do any more? This is boring is really boring. Then it says, against this unprecedented backdrop, the World Economic Forum is convening its 53rd annual meeting in January, that would be now, to reaffirm the value and imperative of dialogue and public-private cooperation. In other words, fascism. <laughs> okay. So whenever you hear the term public, I need to translate this stuff because it's so bad. So whenever you hear the term public-private cooperation, just think fascism, Okay. because you know it's not cooperation, it's control. It's, it's public-controlling-private. And that, you know, you look, at, you look at anything that's out there. Look at the auto industry. All right, gasoline engines are are, are taxed, and electric uh, batteries are subsidized. Well, that's controlling the market. That's controlling what you buy. That's that's making the that's skewing the economics towards the, the electric vehicle they want because uh, they want mono power. Well, the government can't do that. That's you know, that's it's pretty much unconstitutional. It's a restraint of trade. You would think that the Congress would intervene, but they're the ones who are causing this problem anyway. So let me see if i got more here. (laughs) Navigate the current cascading crisis, but more importantly, to drive tangible system-positive change for the long term. (sighs) This is so full of great language. Listen to this. Against this unprecedented backdrop, the World Economic Forum, in other words, the World Ending Forum, uh, is meeting in January. That's now to reaffirm the value and imperative of dialogue. Dialogue is talking and public-private cooperation. Well, that's fascism. So they want to talk about fascism, not only to navigate, as they say, the current cascading crisis, which they caused, but more importantly, to drive tangible system positive change for the long term. What's a system positive change? Well, that's something they approve of. All right. So in other words, they create the crisis. They burn down the Reichstag and they offer the solution, you know, dictatorship. So you don't have any more Reichstag fires. But the fire was all caused by them. It's like like, you ever see a leftist when they argue with you, right? They'll state something something you've never said. And then argue against it. You know, they'll say, so what you're saying is, and then proceed to lie. All right? and, and, uh, you know, <laughs> and then say, okay, well, you, you, how can you be against that? You, you, you know, you're a terrible person. So they lie about what you say. Then they insult you for, for what they lie about. It's really quite fascinating. It's a very effective technique, unless you recognize it. And so I didn't say that. You did. Well, you, you really mean that. You think that. No, I don't. You do. You're just making stuff up. I didn't say that at all. And that's how you get around that kind of stuff. All right. Anyway, importantly, for the next for, for, oh here we go, for over 50 years. I didn't know they were around that long. For over 50 years, the World Economic Forum, in other words, the World Ending Forum, has provided space for leaders to engage in peer-to-peer deliberations. Peer-to-peer? These are the elitists of the world. These are the, the greatest snobby, the most powerful, they think, people in the world. Yeah. You know, obviously, it's not us. is I'd love to go. Wouldn't this be fun? You see me making a speech there? Peer-to-peer, in other words, reinforcing their own cult with members of their own cult, that's peer-to-peer, deliberations in the spirit of improving the state of the world. Well, the world doesn't need you. The world is just fine without you. Everybody wants to rule the world. It's the same, and it never works. Never. You would think in the entire of human history that people would get, if they got nothing else, they would realize that trying to control the world doesn't work. It shouldn't work. And it's actually... Harmful if it ever did work, because the whole point of the world, the whole point of being human is to be an individual. So you notice you never see words like freedom, liberty, individualism, individual rights, constitution, limited government, limited spending. None of this stuff ever appears in in their literature because they don't consider it. It it would never occur to them to limit anything except us. (laughs) It says never has this mission been more important. That's not true. Therefore, finding ways to see, again, they, they, they define their own problem and then solve a problem that doesn't exist. So they define a problem that doesn't exist and then solve a problem that doesn't exist. Well, neither of which is, is good. This is therefore finding ways to reinstitute a collective sense of agency, collective sense of agency. In other words, fascism, Nazism, communism, socialism, and dictatorship. That's the collective sense of agency. And to turn defensive measures into proactive. In other words, don't resist. You know, resistance is futile. We're the Borg. <laughs> That's what they're saying here. Uh, vision-driven policies. Vision-driven policies. Oh, really? I don't like their vision. And business strategies, right, like they care about business, will be at the heart of the meeting. The magnitude of current crises and the potential of future ones demands no less. Oh, wasn't that special? The program. Let's see what the program says, right? The basic tenet of the program is the premise that the current crises, as serious as they are, are manifestations of larger systemic deficiencies accrued over time. In other words, freedom, liberty, constitutions, Magna Carta, you know, our constitution, constitutions around the world, the Bill of Rights, you know, uh, John Locke, you know, Hob, uh, Hobbes and all the other folks that wrote about freedom, you know, the, the free market, the, the free exchange of goods and services, individual choice, all that kind of stuff. Those are the systemic deficiencies they're talking about. OK, so all the things that make life livable and great and, and you know, God, given see God, they don't mention God at all. Right? There's no God in here. There's no religion. There's no, you know, the only belief system is them. They are God. You know, And why? Because they said so. So the problems that they define are the problems that they can solve because they said so. Well, that's not justification. <laughs> yeah. This is why we need Monty Python. But yeah. Yeah. Hey, you, you say you're ruling the world. Did it doesn't make you rule the world. You just can't do that. You just can't get out and say that. Anyway, that's what they do. All right, so this is when they talk about systematic deficient, systemic, slowdown, down, Greg. Systemic deficiencies, I think that's what they're really talking about. What they're really talking about is freedom, liberty, constitutions, limited government, the Bill of Rights, individual rights, people making decisions for themselves. So the whole point of the World Economic Forum, in other words, the World Ending Forum, is to take away your will to make your own decisions, to take away your will to make your own choices. And they're going to do that by scaring the hell out of you with things that don't exist. And to prove that they are, that what they're saying is true, even when it isn't, they're going to create the crises to, to give you the impression that these problems really do exist, even though they cause them. Okay. The only reason we have an energy so- shortage is because energy is prevented from coming to the market. The pipelines are down. You know, the oil, the, the oil fields aren't generating oil. The, the, the leases are for oil fields that don't have oil. <laughs> you know, the, the supply problems, the cost, everything else is happening. It's all artificially done. There is no energy crisis. There wasn't a Trump. Well, how can you go from, from maximum energy? How can we go from being an energy exporter you know, to having, uh, you know, $6, 7 $8 a gallon of fuel. Well, the only way to do that is government policy by restricting our energy. Same thing with electricity. How can that be going up? How can the price of food be going up as much as it is, if not by government policy? Because it's really not economics. The economics haven't changed. You know, we still have a climate. It still rains. We still have winter, or summer, or spring, fall. We still have chickens, <laughs> you know, uh, or if you're a little crazy, ducks and geese, you know, they, they have they, you know, even emu eggs, okay? I mean, they're huge. You know, buy one egg for a month. Make a long lasting omelet, put it back in the fridge, you know, but uh, yeah, but the the, the things haven't changed. You know, cows still give milk, you know, the dairies are still working, you know, the the cows eat grass and produce milk. Okay. I mean, the the basic, you know, laws and functions of nature and physics and and science and the atmosphere and everything else, all those things are still working. So the only thing that's changed is government policy. Everything else is still there. But government policy makes the, the normal processes impossible. So you create a government policy that creates a crisis and then say that the answer to the crisis is more government policy. That's irrational. That's like saying, you know, if if a vaccine caused blood clots, we're going to give you more vaccines to get rid of the blood clots, even though they know the vaccines cause blood clots. That's irrational. That's that's contraindicated, if I can use a medical term. (sighs) There we go. Then they say they are also, they're talking about these, these systematic deficiencies, in other words, freedom and liberty. They are also the result of a narrow vision of systems as sectors rather than true multidisciplinary networks, networked entities that are highly dynamic, particularly in the context of meta, you know, isn't that Greek for desk? <laughs> of the meta trends of the fourth industrial revolution and climate change. This is something I want to look into, the fourth industrial revolution. Does anybody know about that? I'm curious. I'll, ask a, I'll have to ask Jerome about that. Fourth industrial. Let me make a little note to myself here. Fourth. I think this is where they're going. Industrial. See, we're in the information age. We're actually beyond the industrial age. The industrial age gave way to the information age back in the 90s with computers. Fourth industrial. These guys are like a throwback. Hey, what are, you, are you the retro World Economic Forum now? Hey, man, we're retro. We're talking about the fourth industrial age. Yeah, what was the first one? Oh, no, the first one was steam. <laughs> what was the second one? Petroleum. You know, what was the third one? I mean, I'm kind of curious, but now I say we're in the fourth one. This is interesting. So these are little buzzwords. The fourth industrial revolution and in climate change. Okay. This is therefore, thematically, the program will have the dual focus of looking at the levers to address the current challenges while at the same time setting them against the backdrop of the system transformation imperatives. Well, that's just BS. I don't know what that means. Anyway. So it says, concretely, we will look at, and I'll get back to these other things, the fourth industrial revolution and climate change. That's a theme. It says, concretely, we will look at addressing the current energy and food crises in the context of a new system for energy, climate, and nature. Okay. Another. Again, it's all made up. And it says, energy trans- transition and climate change are inextricably linked. Oh, wait a minute. Energy transition, in other words, from organic fuels, oil, coal, natural gas, and uranium, Okay, and climate change, in other words, BS, you know, are inextricably linked. So, so transitioning our energy and BS are inextricably linked. I believe that. Then it says with its impact being felt in recent months. While a global energy transition is underway, <laughs> no, it's not, only by, by absurd government policy, further action is needed to reduce carbon emissions and mitigate the effects of climate change. Okay. We're going to talk about this more because I've got uh, probably next week we'll do a lot of stuff with uh, Gregory Wrightstone's uh, CO2 coalition. He's a friend of mine. He's almost impossible to get now because he's so busy. He's doing great work. But I could can, I can just go over the article so I don't have to have him on the show, although I'd love to anytime he wants to come on. But uh, this idea of, of carbon dioxide. So let me, let me explain carbon dioxide once again, uh, and then, we'll, then I'll take a bit of a break here. Um, carbon dioxide, CO2, carbon, which is the basis of life. And oxygen, which is the breathing material of, of animal life and anything that uh, has lungs, all right? That would include gills, too, for all you fish, you know, lovers out there, right? So anything that breathes, that takes in oxygen to live, okay? Uh, carbon dioxide, you know, uh, well, I mean, I'll probably rephrase that. So those, those are two building blocks. Okay, so taking in carbon dioxide is not what we do. We, we expel carbon dioxide, so maybe I'm getting a little off track here. So what happens when you brainstorm you know, is, you know, just free thought? You know, free thought radio, <laughs> is what we're doing here. So carbon dioxide is a good thing. So carbon dioxide goes up into the air, goes into the plants, and then they produce oxygen, which we breathe. So then we breathe out carbon dioxide, which is what they breathe. The Industrial Revolution, the first one, released an enormous amount of carbon dioxide by burning organic fuels, releasing both carbon dioxide and water. So if you take uh, hydrocarbons and you burn them, infusing them with oxygen, hydrocarbon is carbon and hydrogen. If you take hydrocarbons and you burn them, uh, by breaking them up and infusing oxygen, they break into the components uh, of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. In other words, carbon dioxide and water, CO2 and H2O, those are the two components of burning organic fuels. Well, water goes up and makes clouds. <laughs> okay. So that, that contributes to the water cycle. You know, you know the, the water cycle, water table, oceans, underground water, atmospheric water, you know, water, rain, you know, evaporation you know, uh, ice, <laughs> all the forms of water. Okay. That's the water cycle. Okay? So water's neither created nor destroyed. It just kind of moves around changes form and does different things. You know, ice melts from glaciers becomes water, water, you know, rains down on uh, the fields up North and becomes ice and <laughs> flows down into glacier. I mean, you know, this is cycle of all this, right? So the idea that water and carbon dioxide are bad or insane because water is the essence of life. And so is carbon. So to not have carbon, you know, flowing through, uh, from co2 to plants and then expel as oxygen from us picking up carbon and expelling it You know and, and the same thing the air breathing engine is similar to our air breathing lungs It's really kind of interesting the internal combustion engine really is a replication of our own body when you think about it And to say that it's somehow destroying the planet <laughs> No, it's helping the planet. Everything's greener now <laughs> I got if I started to collect articles for next week on this the planet is greener because we're burning organic fuels So these people have it backwards so obviously, if, if the, and that's stupid, they know this, this stuff is all a bunch of lies. We know they know it's a bunch of lies because they're burning all the fuel. If you really believed, if you really believed that the burning of organic fuels was bad, you wouldn't take all those private jets. So obviously they don't care about it. You know, they wouldn't care about all the, all the, the stuff they're doing if they really cared. Okay. If you really care about the environment you know, in a way that says you want to be back to nature, you want to live off the land, you want to live in a log cabin, you want to cut your wood, you don't want to get electricity, you don't want to burn, you know, organic fuels, you want to just live off the land. Okay, more power to you. At least you're living up to your conviction. But if you're the ultimate hypocrite of a world-dominating cult and you say that you want to, uh, you know, eliminate all what they're calling fossil fuels, what I call organic fuels from the planet, while at the same time taking private jets, Instead of electric trains, <laughs> that's what they're doing. Then you're a hypocrite. And if you're a hypocrite, then there's no point in believing you because what you're saying, you don't even believe in it yourself. Obviously. <sighs> Fascinating. Let me just get a little, through a little bit more of this, then I'll uh, take another break. Then we get got Jerome at the top of the hour. And uh, good, because we get to hear somebody else talk instead of me. That's always a good thing. So he says energy transition and climate change are inextricably linked. We've proven that wrong. With its impact being felt in recent months, da 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 I see, critical measures to accelerate energy transition include decoupling economic growth from energy consumption, particularly in emerging economies. Let's see if I can translate that one. That's an interesting statement. While a global strat- energy transition is underway, well, it's not. They're, they're forcing it. Further action is needed to reduce carbon emissions, which I've just proven, in carbon emissions are a good thing, and mitigate the effects of climate change, which I've proven, you know, uh, of course the climate is changing, but it's not being affected by, uh, you know, the burning of organic fuels. Uh, if it is, it's not enough to affect anything. I mean, so the climate's always changing. We adapt, we adapt to it. Okay. It gets warmer, a little warmer, a little cooler. We do just fine. In fact, actually warming is the best thing that can happen. A warming climate change is a great thing. Ah, looks like, we got, let me see if I recognize we've got a caller here. Let me just do a quick call screen. Again, I'm tired of chatting. It's it really nice to talk to somebody else for a minute here. Let me see if that's my guest calling in early. I don't think so, but I'm just going to check here real quick. Just give me a second here as I quickly slide through all my stuff. Yep. Okay, fine. So let's see who's on the line here. Um, just, just give me a minute here. I'm, I'm vamping. I probably should play something at this point. Let me do that. I'll play something real quick for you here, and then I'll come back and, uh, and take my call. This is Greg Penglis for Force, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, WYL, to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So... You can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at strikeforceenergy.com. That's strikeforceenergy.com. Start your engines. Okay, I don't know if this is playing or not. I'm going to try and stop it. It's not working. Hmm. all right um i may be talking about my commercial i don't know it's not playing and i can't hear it so this is this is a little weird so i'm not gonna play all right i'm not gonna play anything else because i don't know if i'm broadcasting or not and so that's just kind of weird so let me just check a couple more things here and just kind of vamp for a minute i got one more more. Say I like to pre-screen my calls just in case, just because. And so let me see if I can find if This is one of my buddies. The number looks a little bit familiar, but it's hard to tell. And so if it's not a, it's not a call, that means it's a new call. And I've asked new callers to check in on the uh, the live chat. Of course, my person calling has not checked in on the live chat. And so nope, I do not recognize this call. So what I'm going to do is ask them to check in on the live chat. <laughs> so get, get it. Well, I'll tell you what. Um. I'm in a good mood. Let me just take this call and see if it works out. So, caller, I'll give you the same warning I give everybody. You know, be a good caller and you can come back. Be a bad caller. You'll be off the air and never come back again. I've got your number recorded. So let's try it out and see what we got here. So welcome to Action Radio. First name and where are you calling from? Go once, going twice. Don't be a listener. Hello, hello. Here's your chance. Huh, okay. All right, so I'll put them on mute. And uh, I don't know if they turned off or what. So if you if you want to listen to the show, the, go to blogtalkradio.com dot com slash citizen action. Go there, and that's how you that's how you're able to uh, uh, to listen. But if you call the show, I'm going to ask you you know what your question or comment is. This is a talk show. Uh, that's that's not how it works exactly. Let me get to Pianki. He's here on the. Oh, hang on, wrong one. Let me switch around. It moved. Let me try this again. Yeah. Hey Piaki, I think I'm, I'm having some technical difficulties. I can hear the things that I'm playing, like my commercials. Keep
3: broadcasting. Playing. Keep talking.
1: Oh, okay, good. All right. Am I talking over my commercials? Are my commercials playing or not?
3: No, they're playing.
1: Huh? So I'm talking over them. So I can't hear them. So I hate these technical difficulties. They drive me crazy. They drive me absolutely crazy. All right.
3: Well, oh, you know, you'd be messing with things on there. You? you need to get some duct tape and tape your knobs in one spot and do them along.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's actually on a computer screen. In fact, the problem, you know, one of my previous microphones, my Yeti Blue mics, I had a problem with them because I kept using the mute button on the microphone, and the mute button eventually broke, and it broke on mute. It didn't break off mute. So I always use, when, go, when I mute, I always use the computer screen and click the button there because there's no... There's no actual mechanical device doing it. Well, let's talk for a minute. Yeah. I'm kind of sick of this, uh, this topic here. <laughs> I, shouldn't, I shouldn't say that. But I, think I've, <laughs> I think I've covered it enough. But, you know, it's like uh, I, you know next week I'll have something planned. I'll have uh, – I'm not going to do two hours. I thought I had enough material for two hours. Two hours is not a good idea. One hour I can do. Two hours, no. So what I'll do is I'll have one of my WBY classics. But I've got a guess, Jerome Bell is going to be the top of the hour, and I really want to talk to him. So that's going to be fun. So we'll yeah, get like
3: back to – I might like that? to talk to him too. Yeah. I think I like to talk to him, too.
1: You know, what well, the good.
3: thing with me is my my clock is upside down because I go to sleep, say 10 o'clock, but I'll wake up at 1 and stay up doing things until you come on. And then, then when you go off, it's about, you know, 10. And I go to sleep at 10.30 and wake up by 3 in the afternoon to, to, to start all that stuff all over again. So my clock is upside down.
1: <laughs> that's actually kind of funny because uh, i'll do that myself too i'll get maybe four and a half five hours sleep at night and then after the show after my my collapse you know and then i'll then i'll get uh
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know a couple more hours in the afternoon and then start again but then i work to like eleven, twelve at night it's it's crazy but uh that's apparently i talking to somebody about sleep cycles um uh, that men can do that better than women can men can have a sleep cycle where we can we can nap and it's okay for us so women they they need that that solid you know, seven, eight hours, whatever it is, uh, they don't do as well, you know, breaking up sleep. But what we guys do, I guess it's a hunter-gatherer thing. We had to nap before the mammoth came mm-hmm. by. or <laughs> Something like that, you know, back when we were uh, ancient humans. So well, let me get your opinion on this, because this world economic, or as, as I call it, the world-ending forum, uh, my basic, basic theory is that they're lying about the problems, they're creating false problems, and then they're giving false solutions to those problems, which always involve totalitarian control. It's nothing but the same old, we want to run the world. You know, it's that same insanity. You know, Genghis Khan had it. Adolf Hitler had it. And now Klaus Schwab has it. You know, uh, Mao had it. You know, Stalin had it. Everybody wants to, what's that song? Everybody wants to rule the world. Everybody wants to rule the world. You know, simple minds. It's true. What's wrong with these people? Why don't they just leave us alone?
3: Well, that has exists since the earliest of time. They have these uh, ambitions. Mm-hmm. and. Yeah. I don't know what to say. Well, you know, ultimately they figure, they, they run into a situation where they finally realize they can't ruin the world. And uh, they just kind of fade out of, uh, out of the picture.
1: Yeah, but they're still there. But they cause a lot of trouble in the meantime. And how do we stop the next Oh, you know, especially
3: gentlemen. This What's new that? breed, will uh, of rule the, <laughs> the world, they come up with all these crazy ideas. And uh, they're trying to change the culture of, of the United States, you know, I have said they wanted to destroy the fabric, which they want to do because it has mm-hmm. been a very strong and and resilient uh, fabric that they just, uh, they couldn't find a way in. So they wanted to create an environment uh, that with their ideology and the things mm-hmm. that we see that kind of imposes that's what they want to have. And they're just going through the process right now. Hopefully they will fade out of the way. To learn later.
1: Well, I think it comes up to to people, you know, standing up and challenging them. Now, some folks are in the news and there's some reporters and there's different people who are doing it, but not enough. You know, there's still uh, most of the major networks um, are reporting that um, that this is real and you know climate change is real and it's going to devastate us. And yet here's something that I, that I ask people. I say, well, show me some climate change. Show me where in your life you've seen something or you've seen a report on the news where the seas have risen somewhere. You know, I mean, we know the polar bears are back. In <laughs> fact, a lot of polar bears out there right now. Um, but uh, you know, if uh, I'll believe climate change is real, when Barack Obama sells his fourteen million dollar mansion that he bought recently right on the shores of, of uh, Martha's Vineyard, which I call Mighty Whitey Island, you know, back when uh, uh, DeSantis was sending uh, you know the the, uh, the illegal aliens up there. But uh, so, but they, you know, they they they're such hypocrites. They they buy beachfront property. You know, and you'd think that if you really thought the world was going to be flooded with uh, the polar ice caps melting, you wouldn't buy beachfront property. If you really thought that burning organic fuels was a bad thing, you wouldn't take private jets. So the fact that they do all the things that they're against proves they're a bunch of hypocrites. So I know they don't believe the problem, but they're using it. As I said on Facebook, you know, the, the World Economic Forum, uh, as I say, the World Ending Forum, doesn't think the world's going to end. They just want you to think the world's going to end, and they're the ones that can stop it. That's the
3: problem. Well, you know, uh, at one point in time there was three major auto makers, mm-hmm. and others would try to get into that industry, but they couldn't survive. And I really mm-hmm. love those beautiful cars that you post on Facebook too. That's great. something else, especially at Duesenberg. My goodness, that's when America and the world was great. Look at the craftsmanship that's there; it's un- impeccable. You can't even. Recreate that today, hand done too. By the way, but, so uh, here's what's you interesting. Know, this, uh-huh. Go ahead. Well, look you know, what's I happening. Would say even with these new, or real quick. Even with these new energy sources, you know who has a foothold, just about a foothold on some of these energy sources, ExxonMobil, Believe it or not,
1: I believe and it. So the batteries,
3: uh, in particular.
1: Well, I'm not surprised you know i mean who who has all the patents on on uh, marijuana uh cigarettes the tobacco companies you know they have they've already got the brand trademark they've already got if marijuana becomes ever completely legal uh big tobacco is all set to jump right in they've already got the patents for it they've already got the names the trademarks they've got uh, they're ready to go you know if marijuana yeah. ever becomes commercially you know and it makes sense because they're they're diversifying their business and i would say, you know i don't think yeah, it's a problem i it's that's, that's just yeah
3: they're smart, Greg. They're smart. They ain't gonna. I mean, they see what's coming. They probably have more input on it than the average person. So they're gonna say, "Well, if we go this way, we're gonna uh, uh, keep our preeminence in uh, these markets as we are now in oil and petroleum." Hmm.
1: Makes sense. But here's the thing, though: that there's still so much potential. You know, if you've got you know about 200 years at least of known organic fuel reserves. You know, you got a lot of time to develop hydrogen fuel cells. Uh, as we talked about uh, uh, cold fusion earlier, you know, there's a lot of, you know, the, the the new energy sources are already here. The idea that solar and wind, you know, it's it's almost that they, they pick the most primitive sources of power. I mean, you know, they might as well go back to the water wheel. You know, this is where we are. The old yeah. mills, remember the mills that would, would grind, you know, mm-hmm. uh, bread by, by stone? They, by
3: Everybody bring their corn seeds to it and have them milled in a corn mill. and
1: uh, Yeah, with well, the old stone grinders. That's what, this is the technology. Mm-hmm. So they're so backward. They're so, they're so bad. I mean, solar energy has been used as long as we've had the sun. I mean, how many people, how many ancient uh, societies going back, as far as you can go back, 50,000, 60,000 years, what, you didn't think they used the sun to dry their clothes, dry their tents, <laughs> you know, dry their animal skins? Of course they
3: Well, did. in Africa today, uh-huh. in Africa today, a lot of hotels will have these huge containers <clears throat> these mm-hmm. uh, polyethylene containers that's black and uh, they put water in it and then about 12 o'clock noon the water is hot and everybody takes a good shower they don't have to have alternative organic fuse to heat the water mm-hmm. so yes you're right they have used these methodologies for this time of the morning
1: yeah in australia a lot of places they have rainwater collectors I think they even tried to ban it so that people would use the municipal water, but it's because it doesn't rain that much, and and rainwater is one of the best things for for clothes washing, for showers, for hair, for everything. Rainwater is incredible. Uh, I don't know if you can you probably can drink it straight away too because you know unless it's gone through an acid rain bath or something like that, you know rainwater is pretty pure. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it's all these natural sources. So we've been using wind power forever. I mean, when was the first sailboat? <laughs> you know, when, when, when was the first time someone took a uh, you know, go back before the Vikings, before the we go back to the Romans and the Greeks. You know, had sailing; they had the galleys. Remember the the, the galleons, well, the Dutch windmill. mm-hmm. And windmills have been around forever too, sir. Yeah, wind power. Yeah, and so the Dutch.
3: answer them, yep. you can see them today.
1: Mm-hmm. So solar and wind are the most primitive forms of energy, and yet that's what they're trying to push. So these people are retro. You know, the maximum retro, whereas the, the new sources of energy, cold fusion, hydrogen fuel cells, the things that are on the cutting of te- edge of technology, you know, particle acceleration, fusion, whatever, how, whatever they do and how they do. It. I don't know. I haven't studied it yet. I will. Now I'm kind of curious. Um, but those are, those, are the, those are the energies of the future. Wind and solar are the energies of the past. So what they're really trying to do, and I've heard this before, too, tell me what you think of this, is they're trying to retro, you know, basically back to cave, caveman status. Using, you know, whatever the earth had, and then they're trying to get rid of the population. You know, there's, there's some people that think that the world would be better without humanity. That the only cure, the only way to save the planet is to kill everybody. <laughs> there's people who believe that. You know. And well, you insane. know, in
3: the 1930s, they had electric streetcars.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah.
3: And they was owned. Uh, and then they had the buses. The buses was owned by a company called National... National something, national bus line. Matter of mm-hmm. fact, in Montgomery, Alabama, when they was doing the bus boycott with Martin Luther King, okay, it was mm-hmm. the national city lines that owned the buses. They owned the buses around the country at many places at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, before that, they had electric, mm-hmm. street cars.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, you had Rockefeller, and you had Afro P. Sloan, who was the president of GM, Mm-hmm. They had an idea, so they went to Eisenhower, and the next thing you know, they had the installation of the international highways. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the
1: highways. Well, there's two things going on here. I, I well, a third that that act
3: came in about 1956. Right. Yeah. And by the way, Eisenhower was a Republican. Well, he oh, yeah. also he also probably went to GM and said, "Well, look, because so Eisenhower was pretty." Pretty cool guy. He mm-hmm. said, well, you know, we have this problem down in Alabama. So what we need to do is make things fair in what it is. And I think that can't help to bring about the end of the, you know, the discrimination that was going on in buses. And really it wasn't. See, blacks had their own community the area, and the buses served that area. So their boycott would have only affect that area where they used the buses. because Everybody else was using buses. But mm-hmm. I guess that they, Eisenhower probably said, "To ask peace alone, we need to do something about that, and then we can also work on this this uh, uh, this highway system in the United States where more cars can get on them and travel, which would help GM and also at the same time help Standard Oil because these cars need gasoline." Yeah, there's there's,
1: there's just a couple of parts of the puzzle that I want to add to this, because you're absolutely right. Uh, I studied this in college. There's something called the Snell Report that reported on all this. So the highways were were built for a couple of reasons. One, because Eisenhower went to Germany and saw the Autobahn, and the Autobahns in the 30s were really good. Uh, Another reason they were built was national security. If you had to get the tanks from one end of the country to the other uh, really quickly, the highways were the best way to do it. Uh, Also, I've heard that there are stretches – there are two-mile stretches of highways. Uh, all through the interstate uh, highway system. So they have these straightaways. Well, those are airplane runways. Those are emergency runways. And so oh, two my. miles is is about, you know, it's it's 10,500 feet, which is long enough for a B-52. So if you have these emergency runways, in fact, air, uh, fighter jets practice landing on roadways. They have A-10 landing. They did. Uh, I've seen it on, on uh, YouTube. They have A-10s practice landing on roads. they do just fine, you know. It's wide enough. Power lines 10, are 10. wide enough away. Uh-huh.
3: And then the major highway that they built coming out of uh, the south, going up into Canada, uh, you can see it in Houston.
0: Mm-hmm. You
3: have uh, five lanes highways going one way, five lanes going the other way. On the outside, they have railroad tracks for trains. Interesting. So, Interesting. No, yes, it, it,
1: it is. it's a good system. I, I like the interstate highway system, but, but getting back to the transportation, because electric trolleys, now I, I studied this when I was uh, both in college and as a tour guide in San Francisco, because San Francisco has one of the largest collections of, of 1930s and 40s, electric, actually all the way back to the early 1900s, of electric trolleys in the world. And they run them. It started off, and, it's, and people love them. It's it, it was fascinating. They run from, uh, from the Castro at the top of Market Street um, all the way down to Fisherman's Wharf. So they're all the way down Market, all the way down the Embarcadero. It's a beautiful trolley ride. But they have trolleys from Milan, Italy, and South American countries. And they have them from all over the United States. And they have a Canadian one from, from Toronto, my hometown, uh, the ones I used to remember from the 60s. So they have all these beautiful electric trolleys. And they have an electric trolley system. Works great. San Francisco is one of the greatest cities for public transportation in the world because it's a seven-mile, seven-by-seven-mile, 144-square-mile grid of streets that run north, south, east, and west. So every other street has a a bus line on it. So you can get anywhere in San Francisco by public transit. It's one of the best places to do it. The rest of the country, not so much. San Francisco, perfect for public transit. Anyway, so they got the streetcars. Now, one of the places that had the best electric trolley transit system in the world in the 1930s, was Los Angeles. And if you look up a, an L.A. transit map, they had trolleys that were going all over the L.A. basin. They went to, from the beaches to all through the, all the whole greater L.A. county, which is huge. It was a great system. And then you've got two of the players, but you're missing one. Firestone is the third player. GM, Standard Oil, and Firestone, which made the tires for all the buses. All right, They went in on this too. You're
3: absolutely, you're absolutely right.
1: Yeah, well, I remember studying it. Hey, I got a
3: question. A... Yeah, go ahead. I got a question for
1: you.
3: Mm-hmm. Was rice aroni invented in San Francisco?
1: Yes. Yes, it was. I know where, too. Uh, I know which district. Uh, it's an Armenian family recipe. So I, I, I looked this up, too. So the Armenians created rice aroni. And so it's, a real, it's an Armenian mm-hmm. family recipe developed in San Francisco. Now, the question is, well, how did the Armenians get to San Francisco? Well, easy. Remember the the, uh, the Turkish genocide in the early 1900s?
3: Yeah, the Ottomans.
1: Exactly. One of the places the Armenians went in, in big numbers was San Francisco, and they settled in the southeast corner of the city. That's where the, the shipworks were, the, yard, the, the dockyards and things like that. So the Armenians, uh, it's a beautiful part of the city. Most people don't go there. But there's some some gorgeous hills in the southeastern. It's got some of the rougher neighborhoods too, because it is the old uh, Hunters Point Naval Shipyard and some other areas. But the Armenians are in these great hills, and that's where they uh, you know they started playing this this family recipe. Uh, I don't know I don't know where the name ricearoni came from. That might have been made up, but it actually is. Uh, it's an Armenian family rice recipe, and it was invented in San Francisco in the uh, in 1800s sometime. No, no, it had to later than that. Because the Armenian genocide was 1915. Maybe the Armenians got there earlier. Anyway, I do know it came from San Francisco, so that is true.
3: You know what? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Armenian Americans was uh, being uh, catered by Obama for their support.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: And one of the things they asked was for him to help them declare genocide against Turkey because of what happened to their ethnic group during the Ottomans. Mm -hmm. So when Obama got elected, he dissed them, put them under the bus.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure did. Yeah.
3: And the reason yeah. why is because they were using Turkey uh, for Turkey air bases for U.S. military planes during that the uh, issue with uh, Syria and so on and so on and so on. So he said, "Well, I have to." I'm sorry, I can't, I'm not saying he said this, but eventually that's what sort of happened. He, he dissed them.
1: Well, there's another reason too. Turks uh Turks are Muslim and uh, uh Armenians are Christian. <laughs> don't forget that part. That's a big part of it too. So uh yeah, yeah, and the Armenians were killed by the uh by the Turks uh in, in huge numbers. And uh I don't know where Azerbaijan fits into this, but uh actually we have listeners we've had Armenia was listening to us and Azerbaijan I think still is. So that corner of the world, if you if you anybody there are listening, you know, get on live chat um, or uh, send us more information. Yeah. You know, I'd appreciate it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So get me on Facebook or get me somewhere. You know what? Uh, uh, uh-huh. I want to talk about Duesenberg. Go ahead. I want to get back to
3: you. Every ethnic group, human mm-hmm. ethnic group, has had their ups and downs, their
1: mm-hmm.
3: uh, genocidal tendencies, ways against them and everything mm-hmm. else. It's not mm-hmm. just uh, associated, or should I say, relegated to any one particular one.
1: Mm-hmm. On to the Duesenbergs. Well, the reason I want to talk about Duesenbergs is because that Duesenberg – and for those that don't know, I have an Action Radio man page. It's only open to guys <laughs> for membership. Yeah, anybody can comment on it, but, uh, but that's but membership. Uh, it's interesting. I have two groups. I have the Life and Health Coaching page, which is almost all women, and I have the guy page, the man page, which is guys. But I've been posting a lot of car pictures because – in fact, I actually wrote a Creative Car Act because cars today are boring. There's too much government regulation in cars. They have no style. There's no, there's no adventure. Uh, one of the cars I'm looking at seriously uh, hopefully we'll get to a little bit bigger show first, but the to- Toyota GR86, it's a six-speed manual transmission rear engine, uh, I mean, no, excuse me, uh, rear wheel drive, um, you know, regular engine, and but it's got a six-speed manual transmission as standard. That's the regular transmission. You can get an automatic if you're a total weenie, but uh, it's, a, it's a it's a driving car. It's a real car for, for driving. You know, it's meant to be driven. Like, it's a sports car. So
3: You've got a Bugatti on there, too.
1: Well, i got a lot of cars on there. In fact, I don't have the GR86. Maybe I did a video on it. But the whole thing about – here's what I find so fascinating. The best – the Hollywood's golden era was when? In the 1930s. Well, what else was going on? The Depression. The best cars in the world, the most beautiful cars ever made, were made in the 1930s. You know, Al Capone had them. Oh, <laughs> you know, he had yeah, something. I agree with you. But it, isn't it interesting that – now, here's what – you know what else was going on? Climate change. The 30s was the warmest decade in the 1900s by far. Mm. So the 30s are a fascinating decade. You had a worldwide depression. You had the rise of Hirohito, Mao Zedong in, in China, uh, fighting the nationalist Chiang Kai-shek, uh, as well as <laughs> you, had the, uh, you had Hitler, you had Stalin, and you had um, um, who is it from uh, uh, Mussolini in Italy. And all these things were converging. But you also had Duesenbergs. So you had this incredible creative outburst. You had the warmest climate and all these things coming together in this one, you know, fascinating, wonderful, and horrible decade all at the same time, which, which led right into World War II in 1939. On that note, let me bring on Jerome Bell, who's walking into a, an amazing conversation we're having, but this is how it happens. So, unfortunately, uh, uh, he's a couple minutes early because I want to talk to him a lot you know, as soon as his line goes live. I hope his line goes live. We're having a little technical difficulty. come I can't make his line live. It should have been live by now. We are not doing well today. You got two minutes. Well, no, it's okay. But I was, his line should be live by now. All right, let me let me. Uh, all right, maybe I have to reset the show. Sometimes I'll do that. I'll, I'll I'll hit the refresh button on the website. It should be live by now. All right, we're not. This is not working. All right, so let's let's try it. Let's try making it live again. Oh, I think it worked that time. Jerome Bell, are you on the air now, sir? i can hear you can you hear me yeah i can okay good i'm having i hate to say this word technical difficulties um uh, some of the things yet in fact two days ago i couldn't even start my show um so we're with the mercy of technology fortunately yesterday things work well and they're working uh, well enough even though i can't play some of my things uh, to get you on the air sir so uh before we introduce you what do you think of the 1933 dusenberg <laughs> we're talking cars for a minute <laughs>
4: Would, well, you know what? I, I have no clue what that car is, man. I, I just called in. I've been busy, so I haven't even been listening to the show. So okay. um, I have no clue about that vehicle. Well, I'll,
1: <laughs> I'll send you an invite to the Action Radio Man page because I've been uh, I've been doing cars lately, GTOs and oh. Mustangs and, and things like that, and uh, and classic cars. Oh, we can talk <laughs> Mustangs.
4: You know, I had a forty a fortieth anniversary five point oh so. Uh, you no, know, I uh, you know I can do the Mustang thing. Yeah, it was pretty sweet too. Okay. Two thousand nine.
1: Yeah. Well, it goes it goes to my contention that life is boring. Cars are boring. You know, every, you know the, the government's regulated things so much we can't have any fun anymore. You know, you can't bring out a nineteen thirty three Duesenberg. You can't. It would be prohibitively expensive if it was even allowed by the the, the climate wackos. So well, oh, let's, let's yeah. get to you. <laughs> well, let's get to you. So first of all, um, I am gonna hear all about uh, let me try and play my, my cheer here. Let me see if this works at least. You know, we gotta get we gotta get something working here today. Let me just try this out here. Oh. Things are looking up. So Jerome Bell, and it's spelled with an A, G-A-R-O-M-E. Jerome Bell has been on the show before. Uh, he's a friend of the show. Uh, he ran for Congress and is is one of the two history-making people with Calvin Wimdish to run on our citizen legislation as part of their campaign. And so I've got all kinds of questions. I want to hear all about the stuff like that. But let's just, just so, for the new listeners, uh, we have a whole bunch uh, now, especially from yesterday when we had uh, Dr. Peter McCullough on. Just kind of tell us who you are. And then we'll get into your campaign and anything that you want to talk about. And, and, and welcome back. I'm so glad you called in.
4: Hey, well, thanks for having me, man. I've, I've been trying to get back for, for you know a while, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, traveling and being, you know, seeing family and stuff like that. You know, after the campaign, you know, I, I ran in 2020 and also ran in 2022. So pretty much that was like a four year run. Of what I did, where I put all of my life, all of my family, and everything on hold to try to save this country. But for everyone listening, yeah, he's right. My name is Jerome Bell. I ran for Congress in the 2nd District of Virginia in uh, 2020 and 2022. Born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, spent 27 years. I'm a retired Navy Chief Petty Officer, served the country for nearly three decades, and, and I didn't like the way that the country was going I served. My last tour was under President Obama. He made me retire, and what I mean by made me retire, is that I saw everything that he was trying to, that he was going to implement into mm-hmm. the uh, into the military. And I didn't agree with it. I didn't agree with all the homosexuality that was coming in. They were rewriting the uh, UCMJ to allow sodomy. So I saw that the entire military was about to change. And mm-hmm. so I retired from the military in 2012. I have three wonderful sons. I, you know, I, I, I'm actually the epitome, and I actually fight against the CRT uh, myth and, you know, the SEL stuff and the diversity, inclusion, and equity and all of that BS. Because my sons, I have three sons. My oldest son was the uh, only the second black valedictorian in Virginia Beach High School history. Oh. He went on to graduate. He's a medical doctor now. My middle son, uh, he went to college and found out that, hey, college isn't for everyone. And, I, and, and you know, he went on a football scholarship playing football, but um, didn't like the academics part. So he he came back home and, and went uh, to HVAC, who became an HVAC technician. Now he's an HVAC technician. And my uh-huh. youngest son, he, he went on and graduated with a, a um, musical theater degree. And right now he's performing all around the country in these different shows. He's down in Florida, Fort Myers right now. Um, you know, doing shows and, you know, and living his best life, you know? So all three of my sons went through, uh, like I say, the Virginia beach public school system where before it got woke, before we had to start fighting the school boards, you know, uh, you know, telling kids that, you know, they couldn't do things because they were black and that it was the white kids fault that they couldn't do anything. And the white kids were racist. So before that really kicked into gear, you know, fortunately, my sons graduated, or I probably wouldn't have ran for Congress because I probably would have been in jail somewhere because I, I would not allow. Oh, you know, so you're a domestic be terrorist.
1: <laughs> yeah, M- Mary right, Jarland, right. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, well, um, you
4: know, you know, uh, the Washington Post and and other outlets like Newsweek and uh, uh the Washington Post and that, I said the Wapo and, but they <laughs> labeled me as a. As a right, the the face of the new face of the right wing extremism. Uh, the Washington Post called me a white supremacist. You know, so I've been called all of these labels, and and you know, being a black guy, I just wear that as a badge of honor <laughs> because. It
0: me, so this is yeah, you and Larry Elder. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, this oh,
4: is myself oh, so I don't even know if they called Larry. Yeah, they did say Larry Elder was a white supremacist or the face, yeah. or something like that, right? So oh, yeah, yeah, you know. And, <laughs> I mean, so so you know, I stoked fear in in the hearts of of the Democrat Party and the Uniparty as well, because I was one of the and I would say victims of of the Kevin McCarthy. So I'm not a Kevin McCarthy fan. I came out early against Kevin McCarthy because I knew Kevin McCarthy was you know a, a CCP operative. I know Kevin McCarthy is part of the Uniparty. I know Kevin McCarthy is really a Democrat. And so the Uniparty, party, the Democrat party and the Rhino Republican establishment spent $7 million against me to keep me from winning Congress to uh, prop up the lady that actually won and, and went on to beat the Democrat. I mean, but we were in an R plus six district, so she should have won. It actually was a little closer than it should have been because she was a lousy candidate, but she won. And um, yeah. And, and 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 it's coming out, of course, you know, people read that, uh, that these FTX funds and this money that was uh, given not only to Democrats from Bankman Freed, but it was also given to these PACs of the Republican Party. And Kevin McCarthy's PAC was one of those that uh, used money against me and other candidates like me, America, true America First candidates, so we would not win elections and, and, you know, go to Congress and actually fight and actually do the things that we should be doing for the country and for the citizens of, of you know of America, not for the corporations and not for themselves and not for the drug cartels and not for the WEF and, and, you know, the WHO and all these uh, world um, organizations that look to destroy America.
1: This is so nice. I don't have to talk this hour. I was sort of doing a monologue for like the previous two, so this is great. Let me bring Pianchi in the conversation earlier. I think you two have talked before, and so I want to kind of make this a you know sort of like a multiple conversation here. Uh, I got a ton of questions, but uh, Pianki, do you have a question? Uh, did you talk to Jerome Bell before last time he was on?
3: Well, I don't know if I have, but uh, you know, he's uh, from one black American loving conservative to another black American loving conservative we both uh experience the same
1: thing interesting yeah this is it's a yeah, very yeah. interesting you thing you know to... and i go ahead, go ahead, that is,
4: and, you know, it gets worse you know uh there's this uh like for example how how the democrat party would use and continue to use other black people to attack black conservatives and black republicans a state senator here by the name of louise lucas she's been in the state senate for years uh she owns her own wheat store and and she's a, a one of those supposedly social justice warriors, but you know uh, her her district has the highest crime rate, the highest murder rate in the state of Virginia. She does really nothing for black people, but she came out against me, and she stated um, that she stated a fact, and you know, and I totally agreed with her, and I and I thanked her for her endorsement when she came out on Twitter and publicly and said that I was the 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 most dangerous Republican running in the nation. And I was right there in Virginia because I was a mini Trump and they had to do everything they could in their power for me not to
1: get elected because if I won, Trump would win in 2024. Which is, of course, why we support you here, <laughs> just for the opposite reason, yeah, because you're a Trump supporter, because you believe in America first, because you believe in individuality, individual rights, a limited government, a constitution, you know, a limited budget, and all the other things that are going on around here. Uh, I'm, I'm more curious about your run for Congress because I know where you stand on the issues. Uh, we can ask about that. Pianchi, you can ask about that too. But tell me what it was like to run for Congress, especially against the Republican Party. When, when, how, did that, how did they make themselves known to you that, the, that you were persona non grata? How was the actual process, the raising of the money, you know, all the handshakes, all the, of the stuff you had to do, how much of it was related to the issues and how much was just BS? Those are kind of, like the inside of, because you're on two campaigns now. So, if you want to tell right. that story, I'd be I'd be really curious of of, uh, of the actual mechanics of running a campaign. Okay, well, you know,
4: let, let's go back to the 2020 campaign first, and mm-hmm. then I'll bring you forward because they were dynamically different as to how they treated me to how I was treated. Because in 2020, when I ran, I ran as a first-time candidate, so they didn't know any really anything about me. Uh, one of the gentlemen, for example, that I ran against, we were at a an event together, and mm-hmm. he actually came up and said, man, what are you doing? Right? He said, what are you doing? He said, what? what? He said, do you know how much money it takes to, you know, run this race, to run a race and, you know, and actually win? And, you know, it takes name recognition. And, I mean, and you don't have any of that, right? I said, you know, our primary was in June, right? I told him, I said, well, I'll see you in June. I said, I'll I'll see you in June and so, you know, fast forward that I actually raised more money than this guy. Um and he was and, and, and this guy was like a state delegate. He's run for office plenty of times, uh, you know, for he was like a fifteen year uh career politician and and he has never won anything. So you know, he actually came up to my face and said that. I said, Well, you know, I'll see you in June. So you know, I went through the race, and I went through running on the principles. I went through running on the Constitution. I was the only candidate mm-hmm. in America, other than President Trump, that actually ran on an America First agenda, ran on an immigrate. I was the only one that announced a immigration moratorium, completely a complete immigration moratorium. And then actually Trump jumped on board later when he thought, hey, this might get something. But I was the only candidate that ran on those two specific platforms other than, you know, some other things. Did you get
1: Trump's endorsement? Uh, Just out of curiosity. Oh, yeah.
4: Well, you know, the first year, the first year, the biggest endorsement that I had, I got Paul Gosar, I got Congressman Paul Gosar to endorse me. I had Senator Rand Paul. I had Mm -hmm. Senator Rand Paul endorse me. Uh, the first term, and and I had people like Michelle Malk, and I had some other ones, right? But you know, it wasn't as strong as the other list. Now, I'll go down the list here for you know, during the second campaign. But mm-hmm. I ended up raising $260,000, in you know, and, and that was a COVID year, okay? So, I, I announced my race in January of 2020. We got shut down by COVID in March, so we couldn't mm-hmm. go. You know, raise funds. We couldn't have the meet and greets. We couldn't do any of that thing. So everything had to go digital. Everything had to be phone calls. So we ended up raising like two hundred and sixty thousand dollars. Okay, and I outraised the guy that asked me what I was doing. You know, by over a hundred thousand dollars. He he ran out of money by the end. He couldn't run any TV commercials. He couldn't run any any uh, radio spots where well, I was running. I was running five TV commercials um, all day on Fox News. I was running Radio Spots. You know, so, and, and, you know, and we didn't win that race. But on a first-time run, I uh, picked up 23% of the vote on a first-time That's good. run. Yeah. I mean, you know, so, you know, so I, I actually took took everyone by surprise in mm-hmm. that, um, in you know, that first year. So fast forward to this year. Well, this year they knew that I was the – most formidable candidate, they knew that I was the the front runner coming to the race because I was the only one from the 2020 race that actually ran again in 2022. And so like the establishment, uh, you know, rhinos and Republicans do when they don't want you, when they don't want to back you, when you're not their guy, when you're not the one that can be compromised, when you can't be controlled, they uh, put up their candidate that can be controlled and they dump all the money into that candidate. And so, and so 2020, 2022, they, uh, the lady that actually ended up winning, you know, but they put her against me. Okay. She called me and tried to ask me to drop out of the race. I would not drop out of the race. (laughs) You know, she was a state senator. Yeah. Right. So she was a state senator, Jen Kiggins, Jen Kiggins. She was a state senator, um, here in Virginia. And, and and she ended up giving up that seat, going to Congress, and then we end up losing that seat to a Democrat. That seat right now is now under the control of the Democrats. So we lost another seat because she didn't finish her term. They wanted her to run against me and you know, whatever. Right. So, um, you know, in, in December in December twenty twenty one I'm the front runner, I'm raising all kind of money. Uh, she couldn't get started. Um and I'm getting, you know, big endorsements out of the gate. You know, like General Mike Flynn, you know, came in for me. Paul Gosar, of course, came in for me again. I'll continue to go down the list in a second. But so uh, December 2021... Uh, you know, they saw she was in trouble. And so the establishment put out a call or whatever to Kevin McCarthy or whatever, and uh, he dumped in $450,000 from his congressional leadership fund into her campaign. And once he dumped in $450,000 into her campaign, uh, and, you know, and then he called on members of Congress. He called on all all of his Rhino buddies, Hey, this is the person we need to back. He called her a young gun. She started being on Fox News. You know, um, I mean, this this thing is really, really a big establishment operation. Fox News is part of. You have all these all these uh, uh, Rhino establishment people mm-hmm. that are part of the part of the system. Okay, right, so he got the money, and, and come to find out, he's using money, getting money from FTX, Frankman, you know, Bankman Freed. You know, we find that out now, right? You know, with the right. FTX scandal, and so then you have at least uh, uh, um uh, pack come in and dump in over 170 thousand dollars. So now she's starting to get in all this money, okay. And so she she raised uh, outside, you know what they call independent um, donors, right? So her independent donors came up to be like 1.4 million dollars in less than three months on that, and I and I had raised about 560 thousand dollars at this time, okay. And so, but and it is also around the time where. You know, um, you know. Unfortunately for me, I'm a grassroots tenant, right? And so mm-hmm. I had most of my money, over eighty percent of my money, that I raised came from grassroots donors. And these are, and when we mean grassroots donors, these are uh, people that donated less than two hundred dollars or less. Okay, right. two hundred dollars or less. My my total endorsement amount came to over $350,000. So that can tell you how many donors, how many people actually supported me, you know, and not only in Virginia but across America. I had maybe ten twenty dollars 2900 donors. Most of her donors and most of the Democrat donors came from, uh, uh, let's just say, rich folk, folk that could put in $2,900 or $5,800 or PAC yeah. money, right? I I, yep. I did not receive any PAC money, okay? Okay. Um, and and you know in fact I, I had more money spent on me by one pack. There was this uh, pack called um, the, the Patriot Majority of all packs. It was a Patriot Majority pack. It was a Democrat pack. This is just one pack. This doesn't include um, the uh, like all the money that was put in on her side. This is money that was spent specifically against me from this one pack in the tune of three hundred and three thousand dollars against me to to keep me from going to congress then we had the democrat party of virginia uh doing the ads running the uh sending out the mailers they spent over a million we had elaine luria who's a democrat her um her her campaign was spending money against me so so we had i had the democrat party and the republican party running ads against me okay you had the washington post doing ads you had newsweek doing ads you had all of these um democrat news outlet you know they 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 were all focused on me attacking me i'm the white what president. were they saying i'm from the i mean hey, Drew, uh what, i mean one said. of the ads one of the mailers, and one of the mailers that came out it, it, literally literally they were trying to tie me and trump at the hip me and trump at, at the hip right um
1: uh-huh. uh one That's of the I don't get yeah. the strategy <laughs> just because Trump is amazingly popular throughout the country, not in the in the the, the northeast corridor, the the Washington, New York, Boston, you know, Philadelphia no. corridor, uh, and the and the power centers like L.A. and stuff like that, and San Francisco. Mm. But Trump is amazingly popular throughout most of the country. So you would think if they had a brain in their heads, they're trying to tie you to Trump. You know, they're thinking it's a bad thing because they hate Trump, but they don't realize that most of us out here love Trump. You know, I want to work with his campaign directly. I, we've, I want our citizen legislation in his 2024 campaign. So why did they? think that tying you to Trump was somehow going to hurt you?
4: Well, because what they were doing, because they were, you know, had the J6 commission, okay, and the second district, and the second district representative that was in Washington at the time, Elaine Luria, she sat on that committee. So, so they were going after Trump, you know, because he had the uh, you know, ever since you know he had the uh, the two impeachments or the or the fake impeachments, you know he had all the all the scandals that they were trying to put on him, right? They were trying mm-hmm. to tie us and trying to, to to make people think, well, this isn't a good candidate, you know, because they were running in, uh, uh, doing mailers and doing TV commercials, basically saying, you know, I was against abortion, which which yeah, I am. You're right. I, and, uh, you know I actually thanked them to be honest i actually thanked them for their endorsement because everything that they said was a fact right i was mm-hmm. i was uh i, I support two a i was against uh, uh um, abortion uh if if you voted for me, it was a vote for trump right and and so then they tried to say that I was too conservative for Virginia. So they were trying to, and the reason they was trying to say I was too conservative for Virginia because you had the moderate Democrat running and you had the Rhino moderate Republican running, right? So they needed to try to get those people in the middle to, to go either way, but not with me because I was just too conservative. You know, a vote for me would be a vote for Trump, right? You know, I'll send you some ads, man. It was, I mean, it was, it was, it was really some. Some great ads, you know. I said thank you for saving me the money because these are great ads, <laughs> you know yeah. for you know for me and my base, right? And well, so, but look, um, what
1: so look what this says. Look uh, what this says. See me jump in here for a second, but look what this says. Mm-hmm. These are the same people <clears throat> that, if you look what Trump did: low energy prices, a great foreign policy, NATO paying their fair share, a border wall. You know, jobs coming in for, you know, as he was fond of saying, you know, black and Hispanic Americans, new industry, treating China on an economic level playing field, you know, competing with them militarily, all the things that Americans vote for. And so what these people were saying was all the stuff that makes America great, literally, is the stuff that they're against. So what they're really saying is they're against America. So you representing America and Trump and America first and all the principles that we hold sacred, which to me is a good thing. That's the virtue. Them saying that this is the problem. The problem is you represent all the things that America represents, the best of America. These people are warped. These people are crazy. They don't even see their own psychosis. They don't even see their own problem. They don't even see that being against you and being against America. They think that's somehow a good thing. Can you explain that? I'm just curious.
3: You know, uh, if if I could say something.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Uh,
3: Much of what you just said flies right over, and I hate to say it like this, it flies over a large population of blacks in the United States, especially in here. Why
1: don't you guys talk about it? I'm they don't care me, tell about that. Oh, they man.
3: look at him as a demon Republican, and oh, my God, he also is connected with Trump. That's the way they look. And you know what, too, Jerome? Much of that is the fault of the people themselves because they wasn't educated, and their children are not being educated. So they're going to fall in that same old recyclable, what we see, run-of-the-mill, just ignorance. I mean, for a better word, it's just ignorance when it comes down to civic responsibility and also politics. And, you know, one other thing, too. Why come your state legislature aren't controlling these congressional politicians? That's where their power comes from. You are a congressional candidate. And within your congressional district, you probably have several state representative districts. They control that congressional politician.
4: You know, I agree with you 100% on that. You know, but that's not how how people see politics, and they know that. that money, and they look at, you know, and basically it's a popularity game. You know, who can they tie to? Who can they try to make, you know, look better? I mean, and this woman... <laughs> right, she she wouldn't even debate me. This is how bad it, you, you know how 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 bad they they feared me. They would not even let her debate me in open forums. We had four open forums for debates where she even she, she wouldn't even show up. They actually sent a surrogate in her place one day, uh, a, a former congresswoman of Virginia of the second district. She actually came in her place. Of course, I destroyed her, and she will probably never ever ever do that again. But, I mean, this is is the tricks, and these are the tricks that they play on the people to try to get the ones that they want in, right? You know, the ones that's going to kiss the ring, the ones that are going to, you know, capitulate to whatever they want, these puppets, you know, that's going to do. And, of course, she sat up there 15 times and voted Kevin McCarthy to Speaker, Kevin McCarthy. Um, I mean, so, I mean, but to finish uh, um, uh, uh, about the 2022 campaign – Okay, so we fast forward. So, so we go through this, you know, and, and, and the money is starting to dry up nationally because of the gas prices, because of the food prices. Like I say, most of my uh, uh, donors were people that needed that money that, that they were giving me for gas and for mm-hmm. food. And Trump, into, into he was sucking up a lot of the money. You know, you get the ads, you get the text messages, you get the emails. So, and Trump was sucking up a lot of the money from these people. That normally would come down to us, okay? So, I'm going to go down my endorsement list. And, you know, and I I, I pretty much had all of Trump's inner circle. You know, General Mike Flynn endorsed me. Ted Nugent publicly endorsed me. I had Congressman Bob Good from Virginia. I was the only candidate in Virginia that had a – a uh endorsement from a sitting congressman from our own state. Mm-hmm. The other candidate would to have a, a an endorsement from one of the congressmen from our state. Arizona Congressman Paul Gosar, former ICE Director Tom Homan. I had uh the one of the great sheriffs in this in this country, Scott Sheriff Jenkins, he's a sheriff from uh Culpeper. Um I had uh Arizona the Mark Fincham, who ran for Arizona Secretary of State and has, had his election stolen. Had a Rear Admiral Cubic. Had Turning Point Group, Dr. Judy My- Mikevich, who actually endorsed me right on your show, you know, that morning, the last time I was on the show, I believe. Had uh, Undersecretary of Commerce, Corey Stewart. Had Lieutenant Colonel Stu Scheller. Arizona GOP Chair Dr. Kelly Ward. Arizona State Senator Wendy Rogers. Had Wendy's Bishop been on the EW- show. G-
1: Yeah, Wendy's been on the show, Yeah. 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 Been-
4: yeah, I had Virginia State Senator Amanda Chase. I had uh, Teddy Daniels, who ran for Lieutenant Governor of Pennsylvania. I had Kim Klasick. I had the Virginia Constitution Conservatives, We the People 2020 and beyond, the Republican Liberty Caucus. Veterans for America First, Conservative Veterans Coalition, Republicans for National Renewal, Pack. I actually had the Moorish American Political Action Committee. These are the Moors. These are and, – and, and the Moors really don't get into politics, but they you know understood what I was saying because they are actually more for the advancement of, of black people than the NAACP or any of these other people that uh, claim that they support and, and want to do the best thing for – you know, uh, uh black people of America. You know, and so that's almost having like the nation of Islam almost, uh you, you know, endorse Well, me, that's, right? the that's the Moors
1: people. are. <laughs> the Moors are right. Islam. So okay, this <laughs> is new. To, this is new to me. <laughs> yeah. this, this is this is new <laughs> stuff. So maybe Piac is too.
4: Islam, right. I mean, it's, just, okay. it's just a little different. Uh, I mean, okay. so uh, uh, you know, so I had all of these groups and all these people endorse mm-hmm. me. I had. um I actually had Mark Meadows, right? He didn't publicly endorse me because he owned a pack, but but Mark Meadows actually sent money to my campaign, right? So he endorsed me as well. You know, I I, I had functions with Mark Meadows, and you know, I've been up to you know Mar Lago. President Trump actually called me on stage, and this is what this is what really really feared uh, put put fear into the Democrats and the Rhinos, especially the Democrats, because this is when they start dumping in millions of dollars against me, in commercials and ads, and and wow. writing all of these. TV spots It's when I was down in mar lago and president Trump called me up on stage. And, um, and so there was this video floating around and a lot of pictures going around of me being up on stage and these people lost their minds, their <laughs> minds exploded. They were, Oh my God, this guy, we have to, we have to discredit this guy. We have to take it down. So that day, You know, because Trump brought me up on stage and he said, you know, we're going to look at your campaign and, you know, we'll get behind you, you know, whatever, blah, 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 right? And, man, I became public enemy number one of the Democrat Party in Virginia. They focused on nobody else. They ran no TV ads against anyone but me, you know, before my primary. And it was four people running. It was four of us running, right? It was only two of us that were viable. There was four of us running. There were no ads written against my my next opponent, the one that Kevin McCarthy in the Uniparty party was actually behind, the one that could actually win the race. See, see, what they knew with me, if I won, that they didn't have a chance of winning. If she won, they actually had a chance. So, so during our primary, uh-huh. we were our six based on Trump's election from 2016. Based on Governor Yonkers' election, we, my district, because it was redistricted, went to an R-plus-12. Hmm. So they knew whoever pretty much won that election was going to be congressman, but they knew that they had a better chance of beating her. So everything that was coming out negative um, was against me. Right? And so... Uh, after after I end up losing the primary and on election day, since we have an open primary, right? Here's mm-hmm. one of the things that, that that sucks about Virginia is that we have an open primary, and the Republicans won't change this by design. And the reason that they won't change it by design is this: they always run two horses. Okay, if mm-hmm. you're not if you're not there if you're not their candidate if you're not their horse. They run two horses and sometimes three to try to split votes so they horse will win, okay? And so that happened to me Mm -hmm. in this race. They ran two horses, and not only did they run two horses, the Democrats feared me so much that on primary day, over 8,000 Democrats came over and voted for my opponent in the primary.
1: Yeah, you should explain open primaries to people that aren't familiar with that and why they're so bad. I mean I know but I want everybody I mean, else what, to
4: know. I mean, well what happens in an open primary is is this you if you are a you don't have to be a registered Republican let's say okay you can mm-hmm. be a independent you can be a democrat anybody can come over on primary day and vote in, in the primary. Now we could do the same thing to the democrats but we really can't do that because nor in what they did it, the the primary dates used to be split Okay, they mm-hmm. used to be split. They had a Democratic primary day, a Democrat primary day, and and a Republican. Well, they combined them and made and made the primaries on the same day. Well, the Democrat the Democrat candidate never has a primary challenger. They make sure of that they make sure that that their person. Is their person – and she was the incumbent anyway, okay? Let's say she was the incumbent. So anybody mm-hmm. that tried to run against her – because they because she did have a, a primary challenger for about a week, right? And so mm-hmm. what happens is since they don't have a challenger on election – on primary election day, all the Democrats – So all, don't all have the Democrats can
1: vote against you and the Republican so primary, yeah. So all the yeah, Democrats
4: the, come up and yeah. vote against me – for my opponent to push her over that they did. So on the day, now keep in mind I told you about we were R plus, right? So on the day that I lost the election, my race was immediately changed when my not my race but that that race, the second mm-hmm. district race in Virginia automatically changed to a toss-up. That's how bad she was, and how confident the Democrats thought thought that they could beat her. It changed to a toss-up race, and so R plus six.
1: It, 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 just to clarify that, that means you're six percentage points ahead, or how did that? Right. How does that work exactly? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
4: yeah like six points, six points. Ahead, gotcha. Right.
1: Which is huge in politics. That's massive. Yeah. Let me see if uh, uh, oh, Piaki uh, has really? a question, and then I want to. I've got a couple of questions for you too, okay. Piaki, Do you have comments on anything so far?
3: Well, the reason why some Democrats are so hard on you is because you are putting a different face in front of black voters. You are showing blacks what they internally feel, but they don't behave in actuality. They behave because they've been conditioned to behave the way they have, and that is both straight Democrats. So that's why we need more people like yourself. But it has to begin with the education. Education is terrible. Our children are not taught civic responsibility. They are not taught to be, uh, be able to qualify for high-paying and high-wage salary professional job. And then that itself changed your whole perspective. You don't like social programs. You don't like high taxes. You don't like uh, unfettered imports because it, it affects you. You start voting your interest rather than your friendship.
4: Right, you know, I, I definitely agree with that. And what I did is part of my campaign too. And this is what you know—you have your consultants, or whatever. Of course, I didn't listen to anybody. I, I ran my own campaign, did did what I felt was best. So what I I did because I was running long game, right? I was I was going long, long, long ball for the general election. So a lot of my time was spent in the black community. I had I had a, a number of events in the black community to where I started getting black votes and I started getting people re-registering as Republicans Uh-oh. to come over and they, you know, and they saw that and they, and, and yeah. they saw they saw one night, right? I mean, because what they tell you as a Republican, right, uh, you, know, uh, you know, especially in the primary. Don't waste your time where you don't have votes. You don't have votes in the black community. They're going to vote Democrat. And this is a belief even in the Republican Party. And this is why, you know, during my campaign, you know, I ran on one of my platforms was that I'm going to go to where the people are basically left out, right? These, you know, these people are left behind, Right, and and you have white white communities, let's say like Pocahontas, Virginia, who that who will actually vote eighty five percent Republican, no matter what. I went up there and in twenty twenty, I lost them in twenty twenty two because of the redistricting. But I remember going up there in twenty twenty and people telling me that you're the first candidate that's ever come up here and talked to us. You're the first Republican candidate in a while that's come up here and actually you know, um, hail some event because they know we're going to vote Republican, and so they just forget about it. So they're part of those forgotten communities. Whereas the black community is part of the black community, and it's part of the forgotten communities, too, because, of course, the, 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 the uh, Democrats, they just know that they're going to vote Democrat, and the Republicans feel like that they're wasting their time going over there trying to get whatever vote that they can get because they're going to vote Democrat. But that's what I did. I, I shifted my perspective a little bit to away from where I knew that, you know, if I won the general, you know, and I knew that where I had primary votes, okay, you know, like I won the entire Eastern Shore of Virginia. I I won the Eastern Shore. And so I was focusing on a lot of the black communities in Norfolk, um, the black communities in Virginia Beach, you know, to where, you know, I I know that, you you know, and I focus on young people too. I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. actually out you know one of my my uh, public affairs director. Okay, she's an Israeli girl. Matter of fact, they called me a, a anti-Semite. They tried to call me anti-Semite, <laughs> but my public <laughs> that's okay. I've been called about racist Israeli. on this
1: show before too, so I, I know how you feel. <laughs> yeah, I
4: mean, you know, it was an Israeli from Israel, right? But I'm, right. you know, but I'm an anti, you know, anti-Semite. But you know, and she owns a couple of businesses. She owns a couple of restaurants, and she owns this one club, right? She owns this one basically nightclub to where you know black youth come and. <clears throat> Come to a place where they can feel safe You know, they come, it's like open mic night You know, so it's, it's, so it's things like mm-hmm. that So I'm I'm there I'm there with these people I'm there, you know um, Talking to a lot of the black youth You know, they're listening to me They're understanding what I'm saying You know, I'm getting their ear You know, and that's what we need to do And that's what we don't do enough of As black Republicans Is going to these black communities And talk to these people We have to go where they are You know, and that was one of the things. I'm going to go where they are, you know, because if if they give me five minutes, just give me five minutes. That's all I need to at least have you thinking about something different and something better, right? And what I do, I use my situation, 27, you know, career Navy man. I use my son, valedictorian. He's a doctor. He's an HVAC, right? You know, so you don't have to buy into this bullshit construct that you can't do because you're black. My family proves that, you know, and it's not just because, you know, we didn't grow up with a silver spoon. I grew up in the ghettos of Cleveland, Ohio, okay, you know, but but I understand what it took, and my dad, you know, worked two jobs, my mom worked, and I understand it takes a nuclear family. So, you know, I talk about, you know, bringing the nuclear family back, you know, in the black community, because that's what we need. I talk about the education. You know, like he was talking about, you know, I talk about, you know, being, you know, having trade skills. Everybody's not going to go, you know, to college. We need trade skills. This is how the black community, this is how the middle class actually became the middle class by trade skills. And this is what we can do. You know, and they were listening. It was resonating. And that got back to the Democrat Party and all hell broke loose. They was like, no, this guy cannot be in Congress because now. Now what's going to happen, right? I'm going to be the uh-huh. first black guy to represent the second district in the state of Virginia, in the history of Virginia. We can't have a guy like this making history because then he's going to be able to see, okay, see, if I can do it, you can do it, right? And this is how you do it. They can't have that. They need these young black youth not believing in themselves. They need these young black youth believing that they can't do. They need the negative connotation. They need the black youth, you know, um, just... Uh, listening to them, listening to their monikers and listening to, you know, what they say. They don't want school choice. You don't need school choice, but these kids are trapped in, in bad, school, bad schools, right? You know, and, and I asked them, okay, so, so if you really care about these kids, if you care about the education of these kids, why are you against school choice? Why are you against having vouchers where these kids can go get a better education? Why are you against the money following the kids so if they want to homeschool, if they want to go to private school, if they want to go to trade school, why are you holding these kids back if you were supposedly against these kids? And so that's what I was taking to the community. That was my message, and it was and it was happening. And, and you know, and so they ran a big operation against me, over a $7 million operation to make sure that I was basically uh, not that guy. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Bianca, you know, yeah, I, uh, I, I know you're going to get on the school choice, but it, it, this is really important. School yeah, choice
3: ahead. is after, you know why come you have so many black kids happen to, and I'm not saying hypothetical, I'm saying you have so many getting involved in these student loans. Well, if you look at the HBCUs, they rate their graduation rate not on the normal four years, they rate it on six years. That means that a student has to pay six fifty percent more Intuition. Well, yeah. Jerome, it's not the child's fault. The fact no, is yeah. that the child was not prepared coming up through grade school. They right. weren't prepared for the rigors of college. And there, in fact, is where one of the big problems. A functional family that works with their children and do all the things that's necessary, but they're still lacking because they don't have the money. That's why I come, that voucher that money needs to follow that child when the parents decide that this is the best environment for my child's overall long-term educational experience. Right, exactly.
1: Yeah, let me ask you, uh, uh, this is, I mean, I'm such a strong believer in school trust. I would i would abolish the public schools. In fact, I called for them to be closed. When all the schools closed during COVID, I said, great, stay closed. We're going to sell your buildings. We're going to fire everybody. <laughs> We're going to start over again with a private system. Nobody took me up on it. Um, did you see, <laughs> <laughs> well, you, yeah, I get pretty, you, you think you have extreme positions? what do they hear me? Um, did you see or know of evidence of the Democrat and Republican parties actually colluding, meeting together, you know, sharing strategy to actively defeat you? Is is there any evidence that you can present? That I I think it happened, but I don't know if if it's provable yet. Did you see the Democrat and Republican Party members working together against you?
4: Um, Well, here, because, like I said, I mentioned that one uh, state senator, Louise Mm -hmm. Lucas, she made it clear. That her and Jen Kiggins were friends, right? You know, and and she made it clear because she would come out. She was a big thing on Twitter. She still is, I guess. But, but she made clear that my opponent, that she couldn't understand why my opponent was moving so far to the right because that's not her. Because what I made them do, what I made her do, is that, being America first. Okay, yeah, they they want to call me extreme right, whatever they want to call it. Okay, but she was so far in the middle she had to change her campaign strategy. They had to change her campaign strategy three times Mm -hmm. because they had to move so far to the right because I was getting so much traction and so, and so many people were, you know, believing in what I was saying and what I was running on because of my stance for, pro-life because the, you know, values, and principles of the family. I mean, because this state senator actually voted for every LGBTQ bill that came across Northam's desk with the Democrats. She voted 80% of the time with the Democrats.
2: So, mm-hmm.
4: so the Democrat Senator, she, she came out and basically told her people, this is my girl, right? You know, I don't know why she's over there on the right right now, because that's not her, because we're friends, and I know that's not her. So they would say things like that. I mean, and, and they wouldn't run any ads. The, the The biggest thing that I saw is that they never attacked her when when we were in the primary. They never went after her. Everything was laser-focused on me, because there, there was this uh, Democrat poll that came out about mm-hmm. our race. And that Democrat poll said that I, you know, all the numbers and all the percentages and everything said that I, and this is their poll, and this is, and this is a poll. This was a poll of 600 women. Uh-huh. This was a poll of 600 women, Democrat women, that after the, the you know, they did number said that I would be, I was the most likely candidate to beat the Democrat. And their own polls said it, so everything yeah. was really focused at me so they so 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 I guess the biggest thing that I saw is that all the ads were ran against me uh there were no there was no no really um um newspaper articles against her because everything was focusing on me, right you know, so I think that was the biggest thing how how they came out and collaborated together is that they didn't attack her they left her alone. You know, um, you know all the money yeah. and everything. You know, but the, focused
1: on you. I'm I'm curious about the strategy because it seems like if they know they have an open primary, they don't want the Democrat to be challenged, so they only run one Democrat. They run a bunch of Republicans against you to split up the vote. It's like what they do with the presidential thing. You have like 20 conservatives and one liberal. You know, Romney, McCain. You know, whoever the right. Bush, whoever, whoever the dedicated liberal is. But it seems to me that the system, the deep state, the, the combination, the uniparty, uh, the, uh, the Democrat, uh, I don't even say rhinos, I call them transgender Democrats. You can use that, feel free. There you um, go. I, I, I'm using <laughs> that now. <laughs> okay, good, yeah. Anyway, we, we have a whole bunch of language here for everything, I, I changed it all. But the point is that the system, the deep state, is really based on either Democrats or leftist Republicans who are almost Democrats. And whatever they need to do to keep that system, because everybody else, you come along, you're going to challenge the system. You know, I I can guess your stance on Ukraine and the permanent war class. I can guess your stance on the wall. I mean, I know exactly what you're going to do on all those kind of things. But the thing is that what you really represent, and this is what I'm I'm trying to uh, sort of, you know, form in my head here, is that it's the system, is that you oppose the system. And the system is, you know, you talk about the family, the the Democrat rhino system is based on on the, the, the Johnson model of separating black families and making blacks dependent because there is no family structure. There is no father, you know, in the homes, there is no, uh, you know, it's this, it's this welfare model. And it seems to me that if you come along and start talking about family values and families start getting back together and, and the churches start getting their act, you know, in a way that promotes families and the different things that are happening in, in black culture in this country, that all of a sudden the, the welfare state model that johnson set up crumbles and that crumbles the the, uh the democrat vote of of black americans who are all of a sudden you know americans again independent free thinking you know accomplishing doing doing all the things that uh, that all of us should be doing and encouraging everybody else to do that's why i think you're such a danger how's that sound
3: not only that go ahead bianchi not only that because Blacks are so predictable that the mm-hmm. Democrats don't have to spend money there. They can spend money elsewhere trying to stop somebody like mm. Mr. Bell. And another thing, too, blacks are taken advantage of by the Democratic Party. But whites are, too. You made mention of that one white community that vote 85% Republicans and no Republicans ever visited them because they're taking them for granted.
4: Mm. Right. Absolutely, those other forgotten communities, man, you know, yeah. and, and
3: it,
4: it, you know, I ran strong on on going where these forgotten people and these forgotten communities are, because you're right, I mean, this, the, and, and it is a system, you know, and I found, like I said, it was a little it was different from the first time I ran, because I took them by surprise. They didn't think I was going to get twenty percent of the vote. (laughs) They're ready for you next time. (laughs) I mean, so you know, so I took them by surprise. Well, they were ready for me this time. (laughs) You know, yeah, they were ready for me. They had everything in place. They had their their horses ready to run. They knew, you know, who the horses because the second yeah, 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 it's a total system. You know, like I said, and with the primary, with the open primary you know, that they have. I mean, I mean, and then like so on, on election day, now after we saw that, you know, um, you know, uh, on the exit polls and my people that was working on the polls, they said, man, a lot of Democrats are voting today. You know, they would call me, you know, a lot of Democrats are voting today. How about I'm that? Like, yeah. Might yeah. not be good. Yeah. And they knew they were Democrats because they would only, I mean, they, you know, just, you know, they, you can tell a Democrat, right? People <laughs> all right, so so I mean in a series tell of a liberal yeah. or a liberal mm-hmm. because if, if you you know, if you're coming to the polls in a mask, you're probably a Democrat. Probably a Democrat if no, you're wearing a sense. mask. You know, I mean and, and you know and there was a number of these people, you know, in these areas that were coming out voting mm-hmm. you know, in the primary to where we knew whether it, either this is going to be a close race or it was going to be a bad because the polls going in had us tied, okay, on election day. They had us mm-hmm. tied. Uh, but on the exit polling that we were getting from the different precincts, and I visited 20 precincts that day. You know, I went around the 20 precincts and, you know, stood around here you and know, talking to people coming out. You know, and all of the exit polling data that we were getting was, you know, I'm going to have a pretty good night tonight. You know, we were feeling pretty good, you know, yeah. about the election right you know but in certain areas to where they were getting these votes and and you know i couldn't go up on the eastern shore to monitor things because it's three hours away you know and i mean but you know we felt pretty good i mean but that's i mean in in that night you know how they do it too is that her her best area let's just say of course they release numbers and this well, was, and then, you know, was you know, your this election stolen? Do,
1: do you think do you think your election was stolen the second time?
4: You know, there was a lot of – let's just say there was shenanigans. And, you know, here's why. Here's why. Okay. Other than, other than you know, all the Democrats that came over and voted, right?
1: Well, that's there the primary. I'm talking about the general.
4: Right, all right. This is the, the, the right. This is the primary. This is just the primary.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: That that night, when the election results started, okay, her stronghold, quote unquote, quote was supposed to be Virginia Beach, okay, mm-hmm. and keep in mind she didn't win Virginia Beach in the general election. The Democrat won Virginia Beach in the general election, but oh, that's right. You didn't,
1: was- you didn't make the general. I'm sorry. I was getting a little confused there. Right. So the primary. Right. Right. But do you think the primary was stolen? Do you think that was rigged?
4: I do, and here's why, okay, we were going into the i mean all the polls, everything had us tied going into election night, I mean had us tied, I mean Fox News call me you know where are you gonna be, you know we need to be where you're gonna be because you know we want to be there, you win, you know, you know all these news outlets, right mm-hmm. everybody saw saw this race was tied and close, however fifteen. 15- Fifteen minutes after the polls closed, Mm -hmm. she she jumped out. Of course, they released the Virginia Beach Resort. Now, this is the biggest. Virginia Beach is the biggest city in our district. Okay. Right. Right. Okay. They never count these votes this fast. But they're the biggest district, biggest city in our district. is the biggest voting block in our district. They released numbers that came out that she was jumped out to a 57 to – 27 leagues, right after at 10 minutes after the polls closed right none of these other areas had reported none of them suffolk the eastern shore none of them had reported 15 minutes they pulled a they, they pulled a joe biden on me right 15 minutes after the polls closed the they, they called the race yeah they yeah. called the, the, the and, exactly and for the rest of the night, and for the rest of the night
1: Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. The numbers didn't change. See, that's, that's the other, that's the other red flag. The first one is they call a race early because they already know the results. The secondly, they, they program the results so that they track all the way through the rest of the night. So that's, that's huge. Um, I want to establish that, but I've got a couple more questions. We only have about 10 minutes left. And one of the things I want to ask about is, is the legislation uh, from Action Radio that you found most favorable and ran on and any kind of reactions you got to that. Because there's only two people who did it. You and Calvin wimdish are the only two congressional candidates that actually, you know, had and made a point of, of citizen legislation uh, as part of your campaign. So I'm curious if there are any results you have for me, for the campaign. Of either talking about running on you know posting uh a website you know bills that we have here like vaccine product liability, ending big tech censorship, and my favorite new one, which I think was too late for your campaign, which was a constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money, which I think is the most important bill we have
4: you know a lot of people a lot of people like that you know you know I do my show every Wednesday night, you know, I right my we should show. talk about that too and, and Plug I ran, your
1: show yeah. We-
4: uh <laughs> okay Go and, ahead. and when I went around the campaign and talked about it uh people people loved the idea so so that was gaining traction and you know, I talked to Bob Good about it he and, he liked the idea so we were going to push it was going to be pushed in congress when I got up there And a lot of people liked mm-hmm. it because a lot of people saw that they could have some control right but every Wednesday right. night I run a, a a show my show is live on on Facebook it's live on Rumble because Facebook likes to take me down uh <laughs> YouTube took down my channel because it was just you know, uh, so much truth. But every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock, called right. call the Radical Republicans Live Show. The Radical mm-hmm. Republicans Live Show every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. I stream live, live on Facebook. Uh, they just suspended me again this morning. But, they, <laughs> yeah, but, but read, heard uh, I'm not you're on my show. I'm suspended too. Rumble, yeah.
1: You know, and Can you so. Take callers? And, and,
4: but, but it's on every podcast. It, it's on every Can podcast. Do you take callers on um, that,
1: Jerome? Because I'm thinking. You know, uh, I'm
4: I do. I, I do take callers. Yeah yeah we okay. take callers on there 'cause they can actually tap it i I use stream that i don't not have the big fancy stuff like you got you know, but I use stream that, but they can actually call in and we take callers, and you know people come in they have comments I have guests on the show and okay. uh yeah and it's and you know and it's from a a a a black conservative perspective mm-hmm. um but you know we talk about everything you know you know we don't only talk about politics, we talk about school. Uh, you know, we talk about the invasion on the border. We talk about, you know, the jab. We talk about everything under the sun, you know, to get a uh, perspective, a true perspective, you know, from me and my panel and my guests. So it's it's actually yeah. a pretty good show. Okay.
1: show. Well, everything let me see if I can ACF do a, a shameless plug to to do our, like I say, our vaccine product liability legislation, our, uh, our, our you know, constitutional amendment. We have a bill that would disarm all the federal bureaucrats, too. So I can give you some stuff. I'll give you, you know, go to our writeyourlaws.com website. I got plenty of things if you want to, uh, you know, introduce those as well. Anyway, uh, you were going to say something. I think I, I jumped in there. Go ahead. Then I got one more big question for you.
4: No, oh, no, I wasn't going to say anything. I was still plugging my show, shamelessly. Okay, so you can keep plugging. Like keep this. plugging away, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: want to, you know, <laughs> I want to listen. Well, now that you're a media star, you know, this is good. And actually, I want to talk to you probably off the air. There's two people that the great list that you mentioned that I would love to get in contact with and have on the show. That being General Michael Flynn and Ted Nugent. So if you can, if I can get connected with them, and then the folks you know in the Trump campaign, because I want to do the same thing there. I'm hoping they will adopt some of our citizen legislation for their platform. I don't work directly with them. So I'll talk to you about that later. But you mentioned briefly consultants. And I've heard horror stories of Republican consultants that lose. You know, in fact, Paul Manafort, you know, one of those names, one of those people that got, uh, you know, falsely arrested. He used to be a consultant. Michael Reagan hated him, you know, because he would always tell people how to lose. Don't be controversial. You know, don't don't do this, don't do that. You know, be a wimp, be a weenie you know, have the people love you. You you can't complain about uh, uh, illegal aliens or the Hispanics won't like you, which is a bunch of nonsense, <laughs> you know, because we're talking about loyal right. American Hispanics as opposed to illegal alien Hispanics, which is totally different to people. So what are the consultants, how, how does that work? What do they try to do to you? What, what bad advice did you get? And, and how much sway do they have uh, in campaigns, especially your first one?
4: <clears throat> I mean, well, I didn't use like one of these, uh, you know, like action strategies or anything like that, or actually action strategies, who so was Mitch Mitch McConnell's, uh, baby, pretty much with uh, Jeff oh, that's Rowe. they you know, they were actually the the ones that ran G- Glenn Youngkin's campaign. They were actually the same ones that ran my opponent's campaign. So that's how hmm. I knew she was corrupt. That's how I knew she was establishment. Yeah. So those are establishment guys. So my consultant, um, he's been doing it for years. You know, and and we we got together in twenty twenty. Okay, and, and it was uh-huh. like I'm like, look, dude, I don't have any money, so you know, whatever money we raise, you know, that's how you're going to get paid, you know. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not paying you. you know, a lot of these consultants, they want $4,000 a month and, you know, a percentage mm-hmm. of this, percentage of that. Right. Consultants make all the money. You know, i just be honest. You know, they make all the money, and they don't give a shit, really, if they win or lose races, as long as they're getting paid. My consultant wasn't like that. My, matter of fact, my consultant is the guy that runs National File um, um, News.
1: Okay, right, I he know runs nationalfile.com. Yep. I know who you're talking about. You know, Noel yeah.
4: Fritz. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So he's he's Fritz, a friend of he ours here himself. too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, so, the...
4: so, so Noel wasn't one of those guys made to try to take me for money or anything. We want to change America. He wanted to change America. He knew that I was that I can be the guy to yeah. to change America. So he got paid when we got paid, and he got paid, you know, well. But he didn't get, you know, the the the, the regular consultant fee stuff because I just wasn't having that. <laughs>
1: Well, when I was curious about whether the, the geldings, the, I call it the, the old party, that's the GOP. Did the gelding old party, the transgender Democrats, you know, I have, I have names for everything. Uh, did they encourage you to take their consultants? That's what I'm really more interested in as a way to sabotage your campaign.
4: I mean, well, you know, the consultants are definitely part of that. I mean, because they run the campaign. So, you know, if when you're looking at um, – uh you know axiom strategies, right? And you're looking at never
1: heard of them. Jeff this is Rowe new. and
4: Mitch McConnell. I mean they're dumping right. money into the campaign. You figure Mitch McConnell and Kevin you, Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy ran her campaign against me. Let's just put mm-hmm. basically put it like that, because Axiom Strategies is ran by Jeff Rowe. Jeff Rowe is Mitch McConnell guy to to dump wherever wherever there is a race to be won, wherever there's a race to put millions of dollars in that they need on their side they're going to be there. And so they needed District 2. They needed her to beat me. They needed Glenn Yonkin. So they came into Virginia. And, and pretty much Virginia is ran by Axiom Strategies right now.
1: How do you spell it? Is it action or axiom? How do you spell that? A-
4: axiom. A-X-I-O-M. A-X-I-O-M. Strategy. Axiom
1: Strategies. So this is part yeah, of the system, up, right? Well, this is part of the deep state. It's part of the establishment so, system.
4: That's right. right. It's part of the okay. uniparty. It's part of the uniparty. Okay All
1: right. So we got a couple minutes left. How do we fight back? What's what's the best way to go? And where are you going from here? What do you what are your plans for for future political stuff? I'm hoping you know lobbyist you know, on citizen legislation on your show, you know. But that's that's just my, that's, that's me. What what, what are you going to do next? Where where do you go from here?
4: Well, you know what? I don't know. I'm you know I'm, I'm talking with the family and stuff and. Okay. You know, we're gonna see. Uh, we're we're you know, I'm thinking about making a dynamic move that I won't mention right now, but no, we fine. don't know if we're gonna do that. I mean, so I mean, so we don't know right now. We're we're uh, taking some time. I'm visiting family. I'm building up the the uh, uh, compound down on a 27 acre farm in Alabama. You know, I'm doing things oh. with the, you know, seeing 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 family, seeing my sisters. You know, spending more time, you know, with my wife and mother in law. You know, right now because like I say, for four years my life was pretty much put on hold. You know, after running for four years. And so, you know, politics is one of those things, man. It takes a lot out of you. It takes a lot out of your family because you're on the road a lot. You're not spending as much time. I mean, I hadn't seen seen my family, my sisters, for like six years, you know. So I actually got to see them for the first time in six years. And it actually felt pretty good. So, so you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to continue to fight the system and, and mm-hmm. to fight against these bad Republicans and the rhinos, and and I'll definitely lobby, you know, be a lobbyist on your, on you know, your legislation on my show. I can do that. You That's actually can come on my show and be a lobbyist. we can oh, have you on. Invite me. I'm, oh, I'm that, happy too. to
1: do it. Yeah, tonight's show. You know, actually speak about it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. maybe
4: next Wednesday. Maybe we have you on on next Wednesday, man, and you can just go ham on it. You can just, okay. you know, tell everybody what it's about, and you know, we'll have that on. But uh, I mean, yeah, man. But you know, my thing right now, I'm going rhino hunting. I'm i a, I'm a rhino <laughs> hunter right now. So so every rhino that I see, I'm going against. Like MTG, I'm hunting her very very, you know, I'm 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 hunting you know MTG rhino right now because she is such the biggest fraud out here right now. The biggest That's scripter.
1: That's Marjorie you know, Taylor Green biggest, for those that uh don't know who we're talking about. Marjorie
4: okay. no, no, no. Marjorie Traitor Greed.
1: Oh Traitor Green. Oh, okay.
4: Tra Traitor. Traitor Greed. I I changed her name. I changed her name from from uh Taylor Green
1: to Traitor Greed. Okay. Yeah, you're like me, you change the name of everything. <laughs> It's kind of funny. We're yeah. actually into overtime now, so the, the, the live audience has left us, but that's okay. We've got a couple here. But so this is fascinating. And so, yeah, I'd love to come on and present my legislation. And then if people pick up on it, you know, it's very simple because everything's electronic. You know, all people have to do to lobby our stuff is just copy the link to the bill and send it to either other media or Congress or pollsters or their friends and family or anybody they want. That's how simple it is. Okay. But uh, we That's have so uh, things. Things are growing here, too. I had uh, an amazing show with Peter McCullough yesterday. Dr. McCullough was incredible. So if you get a chance to, to hear that uh, at some point. But uh, yeah, I think I think you're going to enjoy being out of politics, uh, out of uh, running for office far more than being in in campaigns. Yeah, Cause <laughs> there's so much more you can. Yeah, so much more you can do as an independent. I never want to run for office. I have no ambitions to run for office. I couldn't stand the fundraising, the meetings. I couldn't stand listening to people I can't stand, you know, right. endlessly drone on. I got better things to do. And I got my show. And you got yours right. on, too. I'm exactly. really happy that you have your show. That's fabulous. Um, any contact information, anything else, websites, Facebook pages, plug your show one more time. And then I think we have to go.
4: Okay, well, on the Facebook page, you can just really follow Jerome Bell, J-A-R-O-M-E-B-L-L. That's my regular Facebook page. My campaign Facebook page is still up. It's Jerome Bell, for Virginia. I'm on Twitter, Jerome Bell, V-A. I actually got my Twitter back after uh, two years of being um, uh, uh, shipped into, you know, abandonment, I guess, you know, during the campaign. <laughs>
0: you know,
4: Elon I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. a shadow I I'm on Getter. I'm on... Um, I'm on Getter, Jerome Bell V. V. A. I'm on uh, Truth Social as well, Jerome Bell V. A. Okay. So, so you can find me, but Wednesday nights, 8 p.m., the Radical Republican Show. All the shows up on Rumble. If you want to go and see the show and look at the shows and see what the shows are about, you can actually go and search. Just search Jerome Bell, J-A-R-O-M-E-B-E-L-L, on Rumble or the Radical Republican Show on Rumble. You can catch all the shows. And we're on every major podcast. We're on iHeart. Podcast, Amazon podcast, we're on everything, so
1: you can just go okay. and check us out there. And uh,
4: yeah, yeah, man. So let's look at having you on on Wednesday, man, on the show. That sounds
1: good. And that's seven o'clock Central time, right? So eight p.m. Eastern, seven p.m. Central.
4: Absolutely, that's oh. right. Sounds
1: good. Yep. All right, sir. It's been a pleasure again. Come back anytime you want, and we'll do it soon. And I'd love to be on your show yeah. next week. That'll be fabulous. We'll talk about yeah. that i Awesome. Uh, we'll
4: set up. I'll, I'll I'll talk to you a little bit more offline after this. I got to go now, but um, yeah. okay. I'll I'll talk to you a little more about it for next week.
1: Thank you, Jerome. Good to hear from you again. All right. You take yeah. care. Appreciate you, man. Right. Okay. 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 Bye bye. Bye now. This has been Bye-bye. a great show. I'm so glad. It's, uh, first of all, that Pianki called earlier, so I had a chance to. Uh, you know, I'm. Not, I, I think I'll avoid the the two hour monologue again. That's just too tough, and it's, it gets. You know, I, I don't need to hear the sound of my own voice that much. Jerome Bell, I'd say, is fabulous. I mean, he's just wonderful to have on. Uh, I'd love to get him more often, but you know, he's busy too. And so, if I can be on his show and present some of our citizen legislation, then that's going to be huge. Anyway, that's it for today. And so we've got our usual sites. You're on, you're, you're, you're listening to a uh, podcast or live blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. We have our live chat. Uh, if you want to uh, you know, type in a comment, especially if you're a first-time caller, I really want to hear from you. Uh, that way I don't have to worry about screening because, you know, I can, I can sort of get stuff from there. Um, our... our uh, our main legislative website, writeyourlaws.com, dot com. W R I T E Y O U R L A W S. writeyourlaws.com. dot com. And of course, to contribute to us and uh, get us moving bigger, better, faster, uh, worldwide, is givesendgo.com dot com slash action radio. Give dot com slash action radio. Back tomorrow. Tomorrow's Friday. So as far as Our early show. So 6 a.m. Central Time. It's 7 a.m. during uh, Monday through Thursday, but 6 a.m. on Fridays. We get done a little bit earlier. And that's how I get all my Friday reporters in. And I will talk to you tomorrow. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis.